Welcome to the WTF Forum. The hosts do not give financial, legal, medical or any kind of advice. Opinions are their own. This broadcast contains foul language and dangerous ideas. If you need a trigger warning you are in the wrong place. Now enjoy the show. Dear partners and friends of What the fuck? Form, a very cordial welcome. The WTF Forum is a decentralized broadcast network with no governing body of any kind and is produced and distributed by a loosely affiliated ever-growing network of rogue independent content creators. This forum does not, will not, and shall not have any one location, feed, platform, or channel, but shall be shared and multiplied as nature dictates. If any listener of the following proceedings finds themselves offended, they will be asked kindly to go fuck themselves. Thanks very much, Mr. Chairman. I strongly believe that assault weapons have no place on our streets at all. And I think we should all at least be able to agree that teenagers who cannot even buy a beer should not be able to buy assault weapons. Let the joyous news be spread, the wicked old witch at last is dead. All right, the Wicked Witch is dead. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the WTF Forum. Now, I will say, because I'm sure some of you are already thinking it, it's not very Christian to gloat in someone's demise. Uh, I was talking to Ando about this earlier, and he assured me that she was a full-blown demon, and therefore we should feel no guilt. Uh, You know, the only good tyrant's a dead tyrant. You know, the way I think of it, personally, it's like, I really have no personal animosity towards any of these evildoers. I just think it's worth seeing them for the representation of evil that they are. And when one of them goes away, I'm not going to shed a tear. Uh, So I hope nobody holds that against me too much. Right. But I am Mike, the polymath, easy peasy podcast, and we are the WTF forum. I will pass it on over to Stella Q. Hello, everyone. Good to be here again. And uh, yes, I share Ando's sentiments there. <laughs> uh, Stella Q from Unions of the Unknowns. Sorry, Union of the Unknowns. There's only one. And uh, occasionally propaganda report over to Phytophiliac. Hi, everyone. This is Phyto. I make music and you can check it out on phytophiliac.bandcamp.com. It is also available on major streaming platforms. And I will pass it on over to Rob. It's Rob here at the Black Labs podcast, and uh, I do podcasts and fix stuff, and then more stuff breaks, and I fix that too, and then I do some music stuff, and then when that breaks, then I go and do something else. That's been my life the last week or two. There's something running around loose in this city, ripping the hearts out of people and eating them, so you can you know, their souls back to hell. I hear you got something running around loose in the shop lately. You got some rat troubles, don't you? 
Um, well, we had the ramen squirrel that got into the box of ramen uh, a few years ago. Um, That's what you get for keeping that shit around. Hey, it wasn't me. <laughs> that was some like shit that my wife bought that, you know, she doesn't know any better yet. Well, she does now, but back then she didn't. Not prep and, stuff? Yeah, well, they didn't get into the prep stuff, so that's cool, because that shit's expensive now. Yeah. God damn. <laughs> Holy shit. Have you seen how much that storable food costs? Thank you. Hell out of here. Oh, my God. Ramen's not as cheap as it once was. Buy your own vacuum. Buy your own vacuum bagging system and just do it, because mm-hmm. it's still going to be cheaper than that bullshit. So... I mean, that stuff's like gold. I've got like, I don't know, 10, maybe, uh, I don't know, 10, 10 people for five years, which with my wow. big ass ends up being about, I don't know, five people for three years or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> we are Americans after all. I mean, goddamn, give me a break here. Now, I hope that's- you got plenty of bacon. Yeah. And I do have lots of bacon, so that's cool. <laughs> and if I can't get that bacon anyway, so the rat decided that there wasn't enough ramen laying around. He had heard all around the neighborhood that there was ramen here. He's like, this guy sucks. Everyone said it was going to be ramen. There's no ramen, but the wires in my 1984, uh, CNC mill look very much like ramen. So he went and ate those. No. (laughs) Yes. We've got some old CNC machines at work from about that era. Yeah. Fanuk 3M. Yeah. We've got, we've got some Mazatrol um, VTCs. Yep. They use the Fanuk 3M too as the controller. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Mazatrols are just a rebranded, nine times out of 10 are rebranded Fanuk 3M. So, huh. yeah. And who is this mystery man who we have not yet let introduce himself? Yeah. What's up, guys? I'm Bear Snare, um, thebearsnare.com, and my friends hate freedom podcast. And you can hear my music newly uploaded to lnbeats.com. I'm doing the value for value stuff. Awesome. Good to have you back, Bear. It's been, been a while. Thanks. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, I've been playing my own form of prepper with uh, just harvesting a lot of food and trying to deal with it. Hell yeah. That's, Unreal. It's that time of year, man. Harvest season. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing the ant versus the grasshopper. It's a smart man. Smart yeah, man. Yeah, we just had the harvest moon, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My aunt was a grass smoker. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> that almost qualifies. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's okay, though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I thought today we would really dive deep into... Um, I've got a bunch of clips from this South Carolina uh, like Senate subcommittee hearing and there's it's all about covid and like basically it's apparent that the truth is starting to come out like it has to and it's kind of encouraging stuff it's also very sad and kind of angering at times right but before we get into that i thought we would uh do something a little sillier right even sillier than ding dong the witch is dead uh i saw this pop up on my feed and it is Something I'll say that about raised, uh, being raised about an AIDS memorial planned for downtown Palm Springs. Right now, the sculpture is planned to look like this. These pictures you're seeing here 
Some people don't like it. News Channel 3's Jake Grassi live in studio with more on the controversy and possible changes in response to those concerns. Jake. And John, it is a nine-foot sculpture plan for a Palm Springs park meant to remember lives lost to HIV and AIDS. But the design doesn't resonate with <laughs> In fact, some call it inappropriate. And the committee in charge... It's a booty hole. I was just about to it's say that. It's a memorial sculpture, raising so hundreds of thousands of dollars in the community and stirring up controversy over its shape. Oh, that's bad. Oh, man. Oh, that's the backside of it. Concentric unintended. Oh, well, that's even worse. Really unintended. Oh, that's by bad. Oh, definitely no hemorrhoids there. Oh, signifying yeah, connection, yeah, yeah. reflection, and hope. But it's not seen by <laughs> everyone that way. A, a reflection of poop. It's really strained. I mean, it's this is bags not described to the listeners instead of the other way around. It could be. A oh, I like thing. I'm going to go back just to hair because I like what this guy says. Sorry, but it's not okay. seen by everyone that way. Some saying it's too abstract. It's really strained. I mean, it's this is almost like a piece of art looking for a purpose instead of the other way around. It could be about anything. And as a consequence, it's kind of about nothing. There's also the it's about something. I'll tell you that. View that it too closely resembles other things. You hear it called the donut all the time. Um, you hear it called the word we can't say on camera all the time. For some on social media and beyond, the design resembles an inappropriate body part on the rear end. The backside of the proposed memorial looks like um, a graphic depiction of the backside of human being. The memorial is privately raising funding to put it up at a nine foot tall scale in the downtown park near the Maryland statue. It's expected price tag in the range of five hundred thousand dollars. Isn't that a good use of money? You know, That's you know what you it, money laundering. Yeah, you know I what it reminded like me of is that big black Martin Luther King Jr. cock statue. I was thinking the same thing uh, too. You guys remember, <laughs> you guys remember yeah. that? Maybe we could get them together. Oh, yeah, we get the Martin Luther King <laughs> statue and the booty statue. <laughs> I and wonder if they're proposing coconut oil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here it comes, baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's like I love these... the way he says uh, it It uh, resembles an inappropriate body part. It's like, well, it's not that inappropriate when you got to take a shit, you know? Yeah, it's only well, inappropriate. It's, yeah, when you're doing inappropriate stuff with it. I mean, you know. Like making statues. It's supposed to be a one-way street, I'm pretty sure. You don't want to drive down the street the wrong way. Oh, know? that'd be great if somebody went and put a one-way sign on it. <laughs> yes. Or you better yet, dri- even road spray trip. painted that on there. Yeah. Road trip. That would be We fun. need Exit to do only. a road trip. Yes. Exit only. <laughs> yes. So, to be clear, this is not yet built, even though like the renderings are pretty convincing. Um, it's not. It doesn't exist oh, yet. Right. I think no, they could. They just they might have, but it might have news. They caught this one just in time. Like it's probably not going to happen now because the whole freaking you know Palm Springs is up up in arms about it. Unlike the Martin Luther King Jr. statue, who you know, which definitely got installed before everybody was like, "That's a big cock, man." Uh, <laughs> so they're stuck with that one. <laughs> they should probably put it up and then paint stars and stripes on it because that's basically what they've done to the country. Mm-hmm. Stuck it yeah. where? put some stars and stripes on it um but i don't i don't know i think that's sort of like dangling you know that's just that's a little bit of a tease i think do you think because of the fact that it's you know i don't know i reckon they're just, just a proposal yeah well, you don't get hiv really? just by teasing that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> that was a 3d rendering bear just the tip just yes the tip. 
Well, you know, just everybody, everybody would be like taking silly pictures with it and stuff. You know like, it, obviously. Yeah, kids pe- people are gonna put it. their head through it. You know oh, that's yeah. gonna oh, happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kids would be playing on it. That's got some horrible connotations. Oh, they Sorry. used to just put tractor tires in the yard. <laughs> Maybe we can do a version of cornhole at the uh, thing and then throw dildos through it. You know, and whoever. <laughs> Throws more dildos through the hole, wins. I guess we know who's, who's supplying those, right? Hot dogs, even. <laughs> Fleshlight. It could, it, could it could be an annual event, you know, a big yeah. party where we throw dongs through the butthole. Right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the I, dogs actually, get bigger as you progress, right? I, I went, so it gets harder to, this, to get them through the hole. I went to this event <laughs> called the Mullet Toss at this uh, world famous bar called the Florabama. I don't know if you guys have heard of the Florabama, but it's like right on the border of Alabama and Florida um, on the beach. That makes sense. Huge, huge bar, right? There's like eight bars in this one bar. And uh, every year they throw an event called the mullet toss. And a mullet is a little fish. And it's just drunk people trying to huck a fish as far as they can down the beach. And it's like the funniest shit you ever saw. I'm thinking there's a definite opportunity for something similar in this case. I reckon it, it could become a festival. That's oh, how yeah. Burning Man started. Hell yeah. <laughs> or in this case, a festival. Oh. <laughs> Zing. You know, bring BYOD, bring your own uh, dildo. Dildos, yes. <laughs> bring your own dong. Well, we all know who could supply No dong's us. a wrong dong. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, Rob, you've got an excess of dildos lying around, right? We could make this happen. Most of them are New Mexico citizens. So there are laws against that. <laughs> Anywho, there is one more minute left in this, and I think there was some more funny shit, so I'll let it play on before we get into the more serious stuff. But this just was too funny not to address. The concern that it could become the butt of a joke. I can just visualize the whole <laughs> slew of potential social media posts making fun of something that is so important to our community. In a letter to community members, the AIDS Memorial Task Force, writing it is incorporating feedback they've received and working through the design revision process. But questions persist about why the community wasn't included sooner. I don't remember ever seeing any outreach over the last couple of years. Everyone seems to be shocked that no one seemed to be consulted. This has become a laughing stock. Because it looks like what it looks like, you know, it's become a joke. And that's the last thing we want. Now, the task force says that they have gotten public input, but asked today to clarify when and by whom they did not answer. They say the next iteration of the revised design will be shared with the community later this year. Bummer. I was really hoping they'd just build it anyhow. You know, no pun intended. Did you, gotta... did you notice how that um, that picture where they had the people standing around was all uh, silhouette like clip art? Mm. It wasn't actual people looking at the statue. It's a three D rendering, isn't it? It's yeah. A rendering, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but uh, you would think that the AIDS Memorial Task Force might have some experience with shapes and images of that nature, and and they would recognize the inherent sort of, um, you know, problems, problems there. <laughs> yeah, but there's got to love... be a purposeful element to it, right? I think uh, it's maybe. something like a ritual, perhaps. Um, I think it's a lot deeper than that. I, I don't think it's seriously what they're presenting it as. It's something mm-hmm. to do with a symbol showing somebody something or mm-hmm. some sort of compliance. I think it has more to do with money laundering. 
because usually this this possibly art, that's why a lot of these these art pieces go for as much as they do because it's like it's a money laundering operation that's why it's not really True. art that they're selling per se that's why it looks like crap i mean yeah, half the true. stuff that they try to pass off as art is is completely preposterous and nobody would consider it an art piece unless there was a, a dollar sign attached to it mm -hmm. it looked like a hunk of concrete like something you'd buy for your garden you know like just a, around a tree or on, something yeah like a lawn ornament i don't yeah. know it didn't look that impressive to me like you know, where do these where do these artists get off calling some of this crap art? I don't know, but I I think I'm cool with it as long as they put up a uh, a plaque to like Fauci and AZT poisoning. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Good idea. Mm -hmm. The biggest. I think we should put Fauci's head through the butthole, <laughs> and then you have to like <laughs> throw bricks at it, and you hit him in his, in the fake face, <laughs> and then it lights up or something. You know, kind of like a dunking. Uh, you know, one of those one of those dunking contests, right? I, I know what the title of the piece should be: the biggest asshole in the world. There you go, and Fauci's <laughs> head through the butthole, right there. <laughs> yeah, I need to Photoshop that later. That'd be cool. Oh, that'd, that'd be great. Send me that image. Hey, and then I'll guarantee that they won't make it. So let's not like spread it around too much. It's just between us folks, right? <laughs> I want them to actually do it so that that way then we could do a 3D. I could do a 3D print of Fauci's head to fit in the butthole. We've got Drizzle in the comments telling us to search modern art plus CIA. And see oh, yeah. What comes up. I don't know what that's all about. Is it is it like a, a way that the CIA launders money? I would imagine. Yeah, they absolutely yeah. do. Uh, also, too, if you ever look at uh, Podesta's brother and all the art he has in his house, Mm -hmm. It is some freaky deaky, man. Yeah, isn't it? That dude about that hangs Hunter, from the ceiling above the... Yeah. How about Hunter it's, it's Biden? It's all bondage stuff. It's yeah. Hunter Biden's paintings are going for half a million, you know? Of course yeah, they are. His dad's probably buying them. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Well, so that's NGOs. How they get, that's how they NGOs, get the I think, money. bought some of them. That's how okay. they get the money to the big guy. You know, somebody yeah. pays for a painting when they're really paying Joe Biden for whatever. I thought it was just Joe making Hunter feel better about his art. Speaking of <laughs> Biden and his son, I've wondered how the nickname Pedo Pete came up. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? No one wants to talk about that, do they? Isn't that Pete? what? Isn't that yeah, what um, Hunter supposedly calls Joe? His daddy, 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 <laughs> daddy Pedo. There's some weird shit going on with that family. No, he calls his dad Pedo Pete. Yes, oh, yeah, apparently. What? But I don't yes. know why that would be referring to him. Exact. I mean, the pedo part's obvious, but the Pete part is the mystery. Yeah, <laughs> I think it means penis. I think it's just yeah. short for penis. Uh, His dad, uh, it has a pedo penis. Well, oh well, that's okay then. <laughs> or Peter, yes. Peter, pumpkin eater. You know, maybe he's uh, you know doing a lot, a little bit of eating tossing the kids. salad. You know, uh, eating mm -hmm. the kids, extra cross dressing. Oh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I didn't expect us to go there that quick, but hey, it's all good. <laughs> welcome to the welcome to the what the fuck forum, am I right? Yes. <laughs> but uh, you know, I do want to kind of get into the main shit because there is kind of a lot to cover here. Uh, give me a second to set up this clip. We've got a little bit of predictive programming uh, coming at us from the X Files that will lead us into the meaty stuff, but. I, I don't know that I ever saw this episode. Um, 
it's been a while since I've watched the X-Files, but it definitely rings true. Mally has been making claims. Claims about what? You and everyone you know has a piece of DNA in your genome put there without your knowing it. Put there by whom? Well, that's the question of the day. This is an internet lunatic. You're not saying you believe him. Just hold on, Agent Einstein. You're talking to a scientist. Uh, forgive me, Assistant Director. It may sound insensitive, but the suggestion is pure science fiction. What I'm saying, Agent Einstein, is that the facts, as I understand them, cannot be discounted out of hand. No one has the right or the ability to tamper with your DNA. Unless we gave them that ability. So, I've been hearing some things lately about our favorite topic, the jabs. And I've been seeing credible sources talking about the very real possibility of what they call, like, gene editing, in essence, happening from these shots. Or maybe more contamination than editing. But have you guys been hearing about this stuff? I think it was a lot of people suspected it was possible, but I don't know if we've had much confirmation at the beginning of all of this uh, COVID stuff that was been going on. Um, there was uh, a link and I'll, I'll see if I can find it here in just a second, but it was a Supreme court ruling. And I think it was uh, Clarence Thomas who wrote the, um, the majority um, opinion. And he was saying that it was a, it was a case about, um, um, patenting, D patenting DNA, uh, DNA that is patentable. And because I think it was, there was an issue with like, uh, Monsanto and their bioengineered, uh, corn. And they were trying to say that, well, we developed this corn, so we should own the rights to this corn. And in Clarence Thomas's decision, he was saying, he was explaining what he understood the experts to be saying about DNA. And he was saying that nature cannot be patented <clears throat> unless it was created in a lab, basically. And there was, there was, um, he used some terminology. There's a thing called codons and they are the parts of the DNA that are, that the body tells itself to replicate. And that is part of the, the DNA that goes out as RNA. It's the, uh, the messenger RNA that goes out. It contains all of the DNA that is like a positive that, 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 the, that the cells are going to duplicate. And these are called codons. And when, when the scientists are doing this in the lab, they are picking the DNA that they want to replicate. And so they are, it gets really, really technical, but if you're reading it and I'm going to see if I can find it, but he's basically saying that when the, when the DNA is modified and edited, that product, the, that end product can be patented because it was chosen to be that way. So when you have, and now if you apply this to the, the COVID shots that are basically instructing the DNA in your body to produce more DNA for a specific um, trait. Your body is developing this trait on a genetic level because it has been instructed to do so. That 
DNA is now patentable. And so in essence, anybody who has taken the COVID shots, who is, who is expressing DNA that makes them, quote unquote, immune to COVID, or they have that, um, that immunity from the COVID shot, they are now patented human beings because of the way it is set up. I'm going to see if I can find it because I have it listed here somewhere because I'm not explaining. I know I'm not explaining it right, but to that point, kind of the gist of it. Did anybody see where the Biden administration told, uh, basically told, um, oh, let's see, told Pfizer and uh, Moderna that they don't have patent rights within the United States anymore? It was just removed. Pfizer doesn't have patent rights. No. Yeah. And they are pissed. (laughs) I think they do now because of the. This this really came out only about a month ago. I do remember reading something about what you're talking about, Photo. It was quite a while ago, too. Um, yeah, yeah that was a long right time at the ago. very, very beginning. Right, yeah. okay. I'm going to yeah, see if the, I can find it. That nature just can't yeah, be patented, yeah. and fair enough. I hope that always stands. But yeah, you're basically saying they are restructuring it, so therefore it becomes a construction by them, and then right. therefore the people who receive it become the property of them. That's what I also remember reading that, yes. Yeah, so let me go ahead and put this up. It says here. That taking extraordinary measures, Biden backs suspending patents on vaccines. The Biden administration, siding with some world leaders over the U.S. pharmaceutical industry, came out in favor of waiving intellectual property protections for Corona's uh, vaccines. So interesting. So they're hmm, specifically May fifth, twenty twenty one. Specifically, the, just the COVID vax, not all of their products. To be uh, they're saying that it's probably going to extend to any vaccines using this technology and i think what biden is getting ready to leverage is the fact that darpa and the united states paid for all of that so you can't basically saying that um pfizer and moderna do not have patent rights to that and i think the twist is going to be that they instead say that the united states government has the patent rights yeah 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 but don't they sort of all kind of they all merge eventually anyway so i don't know why that would sort of really be that much of an issue because unless i mean unless it is more separate than i'm thinking maybe it's the government's ploy to nationalize big pharma it's like maybe it's the ploy to look sorry but maybe it's the ploy to look like they're sort of fighting big pharma to make us get more confidence in them kind of thing do you think maybe you can but i know uh, Pfizer and Moderna's stock price took a nosedive every time every time they discuss yeah, this. They it just yeah. plummets. If you strip away their patent rights for their most profitable, you know, this is by and far their most profitable product ever, like by and large, then maybe you put them in such a desperate position where they do somehow fold the company into the NIH or whatever. Um, and we have you know, a truly fascistic, uh, yeah. you know, fucking big pharma company. That's just not a, not a company anymore. It's a part of the, you know, national public health machine. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no it's denying we're national. on a fascist. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, yeah. I was just saying, look, it, this, if anyone's denying that we're not all under fascism at the moment, there's something wrong with them, you know, mm-hmm. it's blatantly obvious. <laughs> Agreed. 
Yeah, so I remember seeing early on that um, I think it was Moderna had a patent on they they specifically said that they would own um, whatever organisms humans would um, be edited by these by these uh, by this mRNA or whatever. I recently heard that um, there is DNA um, in the vaccines because they were using the DNA as it's a cheaper way to replicate the um i I can't i'm not as scientific as phyto i can't remember exactly what this was but so the lab tested one that they got fda approved they had replicated um the whatever the the virus or the mrna in the lab not using um organic material but then for production they because it's cheaper and easier used actual um organic rna or organic dna and so that was in that was in no not synthetic but organic so that now they have um now they're delivering not just the mrna which is supposed to kind of like die off but dna that's altered bear you're hitting the hammer nail perfect okay this is the clip i've got lined up explains this exact thing in detail um this is the longest clip i have for us tonight so we will break it up if anybody has comments in the middle there's a couple places i'm definitely going to pause for us to discuss um but feel free to sort of interrupt and i will hit the pause button this guy is explaining exactly what bear snare is is talking about a a little bit of what am i doing here (laughs) for those of you don't, don't don't know me um, my name is Philip Buckholz. I'm a. Uh, he gets louder here in a second. I have a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology. Uh, I'm a, I'm a cancer gene jock. Uh, basically, I do cancer genomics research at the University of South Carolina, and what that means is that I'm kind of an expert on all the ways that the human genome can get futzed with during your lifetime, and which of those things cause cancer and which ones don't. Okay. Um, so technically, that means that I'm very, very skilled in in the art of DNA sequencing. Okay, I can figure out the sequence of things that I didn't know what I was looking for. Um, and I'm also pretty good when I say I, I mean, the people in my laboratory, uh, you're not going to hear their names, but there's a group of people that do this excellent work. Um, we're really good at, at um, detecting foreign pieces of DNA in places where they're not supposed to be, even if they're real low levels. And we use those skills during the pandemic um, to, we invented the COVID test that Many of you did a spit test. Okay, that came out of my lab because we were really good at that kind of stuff. And so I've earned a fair amount of respect um, in the state of South Carolina and in this body because we did a ton of COVID testing in the middle of the night when people were afraid and we told them, no, you don't have COVID in your home or yes, you do. So my qualifications to comment on this are both technical and kind of relational in the state of South Carolina. Um, I'll cut to a very narrow theme here, but it does touch on lots of these regulatory issues, and I'll leave it to you to expand on those if you want to. I'll try to stay in this narrow lane um, of some problems in the Pfizer vaccine um, as a case study for places in which regulatory oversight could be improved. All right, so... First of all, let me say that my interpretation of the literature is that 
the Pfizer vaccine did a pretty good job of keeping people from dying, but it did a terrible job of stopping the pandemic. The early publications showed that um, it stopped infection, but that only lasted for like a month. Dr. Burkhardt, yeah. could you pull the mic a little closer to you? Um, staff's telling me they're having trouble getting you on the recording. Okay. Okay, thank you. Um, in, in my professional evaluation of the literature, the Pfizer vaccine did a pretty good job of keeping people out of the cemetery, but it sucked at stopping the pandemic. And um, it was the best of sucky options that we had. And I still believe that um, it was deployed mostly in good faith, but there were a lot of shortcuts taken because the house was on fire and uh, we could do a better job next time from the lessons that we're going to learn here. That's my own personal view of this. Uh, but I'm also, my philosophical bent here is, I'm sure many of you have heard of Occam, Occam's razor, right? Choose the simplest of explanations. Well, there's another one called Hanlon's razor, which is never attribute malice to that which can be better explained by incompetence. And so I'm trying to be gracious here in many in circumstances. There could be malice underneath, but I'm trying to see just incompetence to be gracious. Okay, I found this comment very, very interesting. You can tell he's tiptoeing mm. a little bit. He's tiptoeing around this issue of was this. He he claims to believe that he thinks everybody involved were working in good faith. But he at the same time is qualifying that by saying there there might be malice. But I he said, I'm going to be gracious in my sort of assumption that it was more incompetence. Um, there's actually a witness a little bit later that we'll watch who directly disagrees with him on this point exactly. And I figure a few of us might disagree with him on this point. But at the same time, this guy seems like a highly qualified, you know, intelligent guy. And like I said, he kind of explains the whole process that Bear Snare was referring to uh, coming up. We're going to play maybe 15 minutes of this total, but any thoughts at this point? I was just going to say that um, I guess to a point he does have to be diplomatic to be heard because if you just get up there like a ranting lunatic, all you do is go viral. So there's that. Um, I mean, whatever. He's doing a good job in that. We're just pointing it out because we're picky mm -hmm. bastards. <laughs> well, and it's, it, it's, it's what we do on the forum. We read body language. We read into the nuances of people's uh, yeah. sort of behavior and speech. Um, looks like we got keel thor in the house potentially also just while we're here just keep yeah. an eye on these there's the two ladies hello keels hey how you doing i'm doing all right excellent good, good, good to have you back brother good to see you thanks good to see you guys ando was trying to jump in but seems to be having you know bad self coverage he's out on the road right now so we'll see if he can get that worked out um keel thor i'm not sure if you've been listening to what we've been discussing so far, uh, but we are diving headfirst nope. into into COVID truth that seems to be finally bubbling up to the surface. You know, stuff that many of us have suspected for a very long time uh, seems to be all but confirmed at this point. Uh, we're looking at this this South Carolina Senate hearing, um, and we're listening to a molecular biologist who is explaining, he, he hasn't quite gotten to it yet, but he's explaining that there is a high degree of DNA contamination within the mRNA shots that has not been discussed okay. in the public eye. 
Um, so I will play on. Unless Stella, were you done? Uh, I was just going to point out probably what's bleedingly obvious. Um, there's a couple of ladies behind him and there's another lady just to their left. Um, just keep an eye on them anyway. It's just interesting when they sort of have a couple of little reactions when he says something, particularly one point. You'll see it. Yep. And actually, this lady is another one of the witnesses. So we'll get some of her perspective. Um, oh, OK. Can, I thought they might have been lab technicians. That's good to know. Yeah. I, I, I believe she is a dermatologist. Um, which is kind of interesting, but she, you know, treated people with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine uh, when very few people would. And anyways, uh, she's good stuff too. You can tell like throughout all of these testimonials that the people in the crowd, you know, there's so many moments where they're just shaking their heads, hmm. you know, not so much in disbelief, but just in like, I, I, I guess you could sort of call it disbelief, but these are all people that know what the fuck's going on. It's kind of like us when we just shake our heads being like, yeah. God, you know, it's so ridiculous how far we've gone with this bullshit. Right. Um, so that's kind of the attitude, the whole tone of this committee. Like I said, it's to me very encouraging because the truth is coming out. Yeah. How many times have we ourselves thought, are we really here? Are we really mm -hmm. doing this? Mm -hmm. Is this really happening? You know, in a way, this is kind of like too little too late. You know, they should have been having this discussion exactly. over over a year ago, but, you know, better late than never at the same time. I'm sorry, but cynical me thinks that about quite a few of these people that are coming out that are supposedly on our side. I'm not specifically referring to this gentleman, but um, mm -hmm. quite a number of them, you know. You probably all know who I mean. <laughs> different ones. Sure. Different opinions about different people. Ando, hey. can you hear us? Hey, Ando. You're muted. Hey, Ando. Apparently Still he can't weird. hear us. <laughs> yeah. Apparently not. All right. Well, let's play the clip on. We'll see if Ando uh, has anything to say here in a minute. <laughs> so the Pfizer uh, vaccine is contaminated with plasma DNA. It's not just mRNA. It's got bits of DNA in it. This DNA is the DNA vector that was used um, as the template for the in vitro transcription reaction when they made the mRNA. Um, I know this is true because I sequenced it in my own lab. The vials of Pfizer vaccine that were given out here in Columbia, uh, one of my colleagues was in charge of that vaccination program in the College of Pharmacy. And for reasons that I still don't understand, he kept every single vial. Um, so he had a whole freezer full of the empty vials. Well, the empty vials have a little tiny bit in the, in the bottom of them. He gave them all to me and I looked at them. We had two batches that were given out here in Columbia. And I checked these two batches and I checked them by sequencing and I sequenced all the DNA that was in the vaccine and I can see what's in there. And it's surprising that there's any DNA in there and you can kind of work out what it is and how it got there. And I'm kind of alarmed about the possible consequences of this, both in terms of human health and biology, but you should be alarmed about the regulatory process that allowed it to get there. So this DNA, in my view, it could be causing some of the rare but serious side effects like death from cardiac arrest. So there's a lot of cases now um, of people having suspicious death after vaccine. It's hard to prove what caused it. It's just, you know, temporarily associated. Um, and this DNA is a plausible mechanism. Okay. Uh, this DNA uh, can and likely will 
integrate into the genomic DNA of cells that got transfected with the vaccine mix. This is just the way it works. We do this in the lab all the time. We take pieces of DNA, we mix them up with a, a lipid complex like the Pfizer uh, vaccine is in. We pour it onto cells and, and a lot of it gets into the cells and a lot of it gets into the DNA of those cells and it becomes a permanent fixture of the cell. It's not just a temporary, um, a temporary thing. It is in that cell and all of its progeny from now on forevermore, amen. So that's why I'm kind of alarmed about this DNA being in the vaccine, it's, it's, it's different from RNA because it can be permanent. This is a real hazard for genome modification of long-lived somatic cells, like stem cells. Um, and it could cause, theoretically, this is all a theoretical concern, but it's pretty reasonable based on solid molecular biology, that it could cause a sustained autoimmune attack toward that tissue. It's also a very real theoretical risk of future cancer in some people, depending on where in the genome this foreign piece of DNA lands, um, it can interrupt a tumor suppressor or activate an oncogene. I think it'll be rare, but I think the risk is not zero, and it may be high enough that we are to figure out if this is happening or not. And again, the, the, the autoimmunity thing is not my wheelhouse. I'm not an immunologist, but the cancer risk is. That's my bag. I know this is a thing, and it is a possibility. Okay. Uh, a little nerdy science here. The central dogma of molecular biology is that DNA gets transcribed into RNA, okay? And then RNA gets translated into protein. This is just how life runs. Why, why does this matter? Well, DNA, for the purposes of this discussion, DNA is a long-lived information storage device, okay? What you were born with, you're going to die with and pass on to your kids. DNA. Okay, I'm pausing here because... He mentions it again, but the real possibility of passing on corrupted DNA to your offspring, okay? We have all been weary of the idea of sexual contact with the vaccinated and whether or not that should be a concern, either because of shedding or because of the potential for fertility issues and or genetic, you know, chromosomal consequences, right? And I'm wondering, you know, at this point, I want to hand it off to people maybe with more scientific literacy than me. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at maybe Fido and and Rob. I don't know what everybody else might have to offer here. But um, does this guy sound like he knows what he's talking about? He's kind of breaking it down into like a high school level biology type discussion. But I think he knows what the fuck he's talking about. You shaking your head, Rob? You don't think he does? You're muted, Fido. He's okay. baiting. He's yeah. he's diverting uh, intentionally, and it bothers me a lot. Because the bottom line is the whole premise behind the vaccine is wrong. He knows that. He knows that spike proteins, all spike proteins, are fusogens. He knows that fusogens cause the clots. He knows that fusogens cause cellular collapse and uh, membrane compromise. Okay, he knows all about that. And instead he talks about other nonsense. And it really bothers me. And also, too, he's 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 at least touching upon the idea that reverse transcriptase in the human body and or in the processes that they use to make the vaccine are there and can turn the mRNA and have the mRNA sequences incorporated into DNA using that reverse transcriptase. But 
he still doesn't go there. He's still basically pretending that this thing worked at all, and it never did. The very premise of it is wrong and completely flawed. The spike, on one hand, you're saying the spike proteins are what cause all of the damage. And then on the other hand, you're saying, oh, well, this thing worked. You can't have both. I tend to agree with you. You know, he he makes the comment coming up here in a second about how um, he believes in the platform that is mRNA. Um, well, okay, that but, might but, that might be so. Yeah, but to use it to make spike proteins invalidates the use of the mRNA completely. Mm-hmm. Okay, this was just to see what they could do, and they didn't care if they killed you with it. That's the problem. They didn't really know how they were going to be. You, you basically, you can't really trigger the immune system. You can't stop a stabbing by making someone stab themselves any more than you can stop the symptoms of COVID infection by giving someone a, a factory to make the spike proteins with. It doesn't make any sense. Also, um, I think what people really need to uh, be aware of is that the, uh, the terminology that is being used to describe what this quote unquote vaccine is, has been weaponized. Yes. That in itself. And, and it's very important that people exp- um are expressly clear when they're talking about mRNA because now there are two definitions of mRNA. One of them is messenger RNA and the other is modified Modified. RNA. Modified RNA is what they are calling, what they're saying is mRNA and they're using it interchangeably. Mm -hmm. They are two completely different things. And that needs to be expressly clear when people are talking about what these vaccines are actually doing to people, because the two things are the mRNA is what the human body uses to create new cells and to divide and to replace skin cells and, and, and body cells. Um, it's what, it's what, um, it's what the body uses to uh, protect itself. Also, you know, it sends out messages to the rest of the body with mRNA the mRNA that these scientists are using is called modified RNA. It's not the same thing as messenger RNA. Modified is it has been genetic. It has been altered in the lab. This is lab altered RNA. It's not the same thing. So um, the link that I, I posted in the comment, in the, in the private comment, if you want to click on that and pull that up, the, the web archive, it's, it's a archive.org link which is awesome because it's there hopefully forever or they don't, and hopefully they won't purge it. This is um, the, is this the um, opinion that was written um, by Supreme court justice? Uh, let me pull. Oh, shoot. Where did it go? I had it yeah, up. real quick, real quick before we jump yeah. into this, it looks like Ando has fine, Finally found his way into the forum, and hopefully he can hear us and we can hear him. I just want to give him a shot to uh, say hello and and join the club here. I think he's just rearranging the furniture for a moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Been so I was, I was just, uh, mounting the phone so that it wouldn't be all wiggly the whole time. What's going on, y'all? I'm What's back, Nando. I think uh, with my new job, my new I'm, job going to be I'm going to be super freaking super busy. Super freaking busy. 
Okay, Ro, uh, Ando, and you echoing. need to put your echo cancellation on. If you go to your audio yeah. s- settings under yeah. audio, there's an echo cancellation checkbox. If you just put a tick in there, that'd be fucking great. <laughs> Good to see you, Ando. And that. <laughs> All right. Take it away there, Fido. Okay, so this is a, um, a um, majority opinion piece written by Justice Scalia. I was... I was incorrect. I thought it was Clarence Thomas. It's Justice Scalia. Um, so I'm going to read the overview that I had prepared for this when I originally posted it in a in a group chat. Um, y'all can go through and read this at your own leisure. It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, what this thing is, it is uh, in regards to a case that was decided back in 2012. Let me get back up to the top here. And it was about um, the uh, Myriad Genetics was um, developing um, DNA and uh, they were, um, they actually had um, discovered, no, this is what it was. They had discovered the gene that causes breast cancer, the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 gene. And they were trying to patent that. And they had gone to the Supreme Court and they the the Supreme Court said that anything that occurs in nature cannot be patented. And they were saying that since they just they just discovered the gene, they didn't actually create the gene. They cannot patent the BRCA1 and BRCA2 and they can't um, use it as their sole proprietary uh, property to create treatments for it. So that's basically the gist of this case. Now, uh, the syllabus starts out with the following, quote, nucleotides that code for amino acids are called exons, and those that do not are called introns. Scientists can extract DNA from cells to isolate specific segments for study. They can also synthetically create exons, only strands of nucleotides known as complementary DNA cDNA contains only the exons that occur in the DNA, omitting the intervening introns. You have two sets of uh, DNA, or yeah, two types of this DNA, um, the exons and the introns. And if you have just the, the exons, the complementary DNA, if that is all that is present in the strand, that is something that is um, synthetically created. So this is like the the mRNA. Um, They synthetically create this. So this is not an occur. This is not a strain that occurs in nature. It is it is artificially created. So on on uh, page six is where it really gets into all of that um, that uh, jargon and talk. Um, You might have to uh, uh, look up a few of the definitions, but it gets pretty dense round about page six. Um, the section that I wanted to talk about where it said the exon only strand is known as messenger RNA. This creates amino acids through translation. When the, um, when the messenger RNA enters into the cell of, into the nucleus of another cell, this is what is translated into that cell so that it creates what it's supposed to create. In translation, Cellular structures known as ribosomes read each set of the three nucleotides known as codons in the mRNA. 
Justice Scalia pretty much agreed with everyone else and added his own opinion that complementary DNA, the 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 exons on, the exon only strain, is a synthetic creation that is not normally present in nature. This means synthetic creations can be patented. Complementary DNA is messenger RNA, and messenger the is modified RNA and modified RNA is patentable and that modified RNA is what duplicates and encodes onto the host DNA to replicate. So it is the patentable RNA that is reproducing in the human body and becomes part of the DNA. Well, and this is what allows for the patenting of genetically modified foodstuffs, right? Right. Same right, this but is, this that is stuff that doesn't yeah. correct. It it goes and they do it with the food, but the food that you eat, those as far as I know, as I've never heard anything about this, but I have not heard that the food that is modified will alter your DNA. But this is literally, literally injecting, injecting. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, going I'm going. I don't know how that how happened. That happened. It is it is. Hmm. What do you mean by reading a book? Suppose you learn something. Let's go into, Let's go audio, into audio photo. photo. You're echoing. Everyone's echoing. Everyone's echoing. Everyone's echoing. Everyone's echoing. Oh, <laughs> Does somebody have their speakers on? I don't know. That might have been me. Okay, I was, I was about to point <laughs> yeah, to Rob because I had a feeling. I had check a one, okay. check two. Check one, good. Check two. We good now? Okay, uh, we're good. <laughs> God, I think we all just got cloned for a moment. What do you mean by reading a book? Suppose you learned something. Oh, now I forgot what I was going to say. Anyway, oh, the food. The food, as far as I know, the food that you eat that is genetically modified does not uh, encode into your DNA that I'm aware of. I haven't actually looked into that. All I know is that... They've been talking about doing that, though. Reverse transcription. They've been talking about food food with vaccines for the human to ingest. It can happen. But this is... um, But they aren't... So far, what I've what I've what I've understood the modified the bioengineered food to be is that it's bioengineered to be like pest resistant or pesticide resistant or whatever, and that not that won't necessarily uh, cause. We'll make this man. It won't necessarily change your DNA, but it could like cause health issues down the road, not necessarily on a genetic level, but just like generally general systematic health issues. So what this is basically doing is that the vaccines themselves, these mRNA vaccines, these modified RNA vaccines are literally editing your genes to be something else. And it's not just that your body is producing these antibodies from a genetic level. It's this, this, this uh, modified RNA has been patented. So now you have a patented product inside your body and i'm not talking about just like with um like um implantable devices like a defibrillator or a heart valve or even a feeding tube i mean this is something that is going to the very core of what is a human being and this is what's very dangerous because now your dna is literally property of the people of the companies that made that vaccine or that so shot. it's like having it's like having a trademark on every one of your cells it sounds yes. like 
Exactly. Well, and who knows how far does this extend out to? Is it just that they've patented the cells that are affected by this mRNA, this modified RNA, or are they going to say, well, we can't separate it out. So we just own the whole human now. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's never not wondered court. about because people How much who got they the own? virus or people who, um, like my wife, I think she got it from someone who was vaccinated and she still doesn't have her smell back and stuff. Like it's, I mean, it's mostly back, but it's not right. You know, it's, it's, and that was a couple years ago, I guess. You know, it was it was a long time ago. Oh, so are we gonna get are we gonna get sued by Monsanto or whoever holds the, the trademarks? No, they just assume ownership. So it really begs the question if your DNA is property of the uh, the companies that have developed these vaccines, what does that mean for your rights as a human being? Have you right. essentially given up your rights? Um uh, that's a, a really slave? that's a question I have. I don't, I don't think from. you can essentially give them up like that. I don't think it like as far as natural human rights go, it doesn't work like that. They can't just lay claim to it like that by tricking people into it or by inflicting it on people, which is largely the case. Um, you know, we we still have these innate rights. Um, Where did you get can, the chicken? <laughs> they can claim rights over us, but like that's that's some legal bullshit. Yeah. So how so, how far does it go? How far does it ex extend? That's my question. Is it the entire body? Um, because you know what they did in the Monsanto case with the crops, right? They basically said that they'd own your farm because they can't extract the DNA because it's inherent in the soil. And they'll just keep testing with a yep. PCR test and keep saying, sorry. This patented item is still on your property, therefore we own it. Or we'll just tax you and fine you and et cetera, take you to court until we own it. Is yeah, that, that what they're going to do with the human happens, body? That's happened with farmers for sure. That's they get right. their crops cross-pollinated with some yes. GMO crops and they get sued for having those genetic markers in their crops. So now that I'm cross-pollinated by some jackass who got the vaccine... Does that mean that I suffer the same fate with my body autonomy as did the farmers who were also cross-pollinated against their will? Well, this is why they have the big push to, to, um, to identify those who've had the shots and who hasn't. Because that way, you're, if you're in a database, okay, well, these are the people that we know that we own. And right. anybody who's not in the database, we don't own them. And that was going to be, you know, the, the basis, I think, for implementing all these other systems that are going to expand off of getting, you know, the, the social credit score and everything, you know, the, the UBI and, and everything, you know, CBDC. you have a database of people. Yeah. If you can yeah. show that you've been vaccinated, you'll get your UBI and you'll get, right. you know, you'll get your, your food credits, you'll get your, um, your entertainment allowances and you'll get to be able to go however far past your your property yeah. line and and um what it's called is the internet of bodies exactly well, and that brings us to web three and yep. twitter which is now yes. called x because what mm -hmm. x i think what he's actually saying is x means an extension 
basically they're extending it into the human body via the neural link. However, that ends up uh, playing out. And I'm going to hit a sample right now because it fits so perfectly. Where did you get the chicken? From an egg. Where'd you get the egg? Uh, from a chicken. chicken. A vicious cycle. We must kill it. Where did so, so I want to keep us rolling here. Uh, I think we're hitting on some good things, but you know, this issue, I didn't really think of it in terms of like, yeah, the um, trademarking, the the, the pat- patenting rather of genetic material and how there could be something to that. Even if on a legal kind of level, there's no way they're ever going to claim ownership in a physical sense of people. You know, we all know this is more spiritual than anything. So there might be something to this, like this idea of selling yourself to the devil with these shots a little bit or what have you it, it, spiritual kind of ownership. Now I know uh, we might have some issues with this guy at this point, but I, I want to give him a few more minutes here to kind of explain the process that his lab kind of went through and some of the details around it. And like I said, there's a, there's a gal who I'll play after who directly sort of uh, disagrees with some of his take. Um, so anyways, I just want to keep us moving here. I think we've, We've been hitting on good stuff. It may last for hundreds of thousands of years, um, and it can last for generations if you get pass it on to your kids, right? So alterations to the DNA, they stick around. RNA, by its nature, is temporary. It doesn't last. And that feature of RNA was part of the sales pitch for the vaccine. The pseudouridine was supposed to make the RNA last a little bit longer, But still, it's a transient phenomenon. We're talking hours to days, okay? Um, And then proteins. Once proteins are made, they also don't last forever. They they last for hours to days. But something that makes its way into DNA has the potential to last for a very long time, maybe a lifetime. So this is a picture of the sequencing read, uh, the sequencing run that I did uh, in the lab. from a couple of batches of the Pfizer vaccine. And all those little bitty lines here are the little tiny pieces of DNA that are in the vaccine. They don't belong there. They are not part of the sales pitch or the marketing campaign. And they're there, there's a lot of them. This little graph here in the middle is the size distribution that peaks around 100 base pairs, 120 base pairs. So the, the DNA pieces that are in the vaccine are short little pieces, 100, 120. There's some that are about 500 base pairs, a few, that are even 5,000, but most of them are around 100 base pairs. Um, Why is this important? Because the probability of a DNA, piece of DNA integrating into the human genome is unrelated to its size. So your genome risk is just a function of how many particles there are. So it's like, you know, if you shoot a shotgun at a washboard, if you shoot a slug, you have some probability of hitting it. And if you shoot buckshot, you have a bigger probability of hitting it with some shot, right? This, all these little pieces of DNA that are in the vaccine are analogous to buckshot. Um, you have many, many thousands of opportunities to modify uh, a, a cell of a vaccinated person. Um, the pieces are very small because during the process, they chopped them up to try to make them go away, but they actually increased the hazard of genome modification in the process. That's how this got here. Um, In my view, uh, somebody should go about sequencing DNA samples from stem cells of people who are vaccinated and find out if this theoretical risk has happened or not. 
I think this is a real serious oversight, regulatory oversight that happened at the federal level, and somebody should force this to happen somewhere. Dr. Buckhoff, yes. if you allow, are you capable of doing that? Yeah, it's we do that kind of thing. But in order for it to be trustworthy it, by the public, this has to be done by lots of people. Right? Okay. Um, I'll talk to you more about that later. Yeah, this is our, our deal. This is why I know this should have been done at the federal level. Okay. Um, so we took all these pieces of DNA and we used them to glue together what the source DNA must have been. This is kind of, again, this is our, what we do in the lab all the time. And, and all these little, little red and green lines here, these are all independent little pieces of DNA. Um, this must've had a hundred thousand pieces of DNA in this, this uh, sequencing run. And you can put them all back together and see what they came from is this circle over here. It's a plasmid that you can go shopping online to buy from Agilent. And it's clear that Pfizer uh, took this plasmid and then they cloned Spike into it. Um, and they used it for in a process called in vitro transcription translation, in vitro transcription, where you feed um, an RNA polymerase, this plasmid, and it makes a whole bunch of mRNA copies for you. Okay, and then you take this mRNA, you mix it with the, the lipid nanoparticle transfection reagent, and now you've got your mRNA vaccine, but they failed to get the DNA out before they did this. So these little pieces, they did, they did make some effort to chop it up. So all these little pieces of the plasma got packaged in with the RNA. That's clear as day what happened just from the forensics of looking at the DNA sequencing. Okay, a, a little bit of a regulatory note here. Um, the way you do RNA transcription, in vitro transcription reactions, you have to give it a DNA template, okay? And you can give it a DNA template that is just a synthetic piece of DNA that is only the instructions to make the RNA. And that's what was done for getting the um, emergency use authorization and the clinical trial. That's called process one, if you look up that kind of stuff. Um, they made a PCR product of just the bits that they wanted, and then they did the in vitro transcription, made a bunch of RNA of that. There was no plasma DNA to contaminate the stuff that was used for the trial. But that, that making that PCR product doesn't scale the way that was necessary to vaccinate the whole world. So a cheaper way to scale up the production of this template is to clone that PCR product into this plasmid vector, put the plasmid vector into bacteria, and then you can grow up big vats of the bacteria. They make a lot of the plasmid DNA for you. Then you use that plasmid DNA as the template to drive this transcription reaction to make your RNA. Um, and that's where how the contamination ended up in the production batches, even though it was not in the stuff that was used for the authorization trials. All right. So this is what bear snare was talking about, right? The trial vaccine was quote unquote clean. There was no DNA particles in it. Yep. But then they changed the process. Seems a little fishy, you know, I thought it was very interesting. Don't they? Yeah. What do you said about bait and switch? Once they got the yes. emergency order and they were no longer liable, boom, go for broke. Screw yep. it. Yeah. Get that data. Minister of Propaganda. What does Drizzle mean by gene drives? Does anyone, can someone? So I was wondering I, that too. I pulled up a definition here. So gene drives are a natural process and technology of genetic engineering that alter the probability that a specific allele will be transmitted to offspring. 
They can arise through various mechanisms and are proposed to provide an effective means of genetically modifying specific populations and entire species. So I think what I think what uh, Drizzle is basically claiming is that this is a gene drive. Like this was an attempt to modify the entire species, or at least it's serving that that function. Well, once um, they allowed the DNA that they said was filtered out into the subsequent batches, then there is no other conclusion at that point. Yeah, I think um, it might have been Bear Snare. Somebody said it earlier, and it just it kind of gave me a, a shiver, but I have heard it. They are, they are editing humans. They yeah. are editing humans. Think about that for a sec. I mean, you, you mix a spike what? protein with the alien DNA or unknown DNA or... Uh, do we want to, what do we want to call it now? Don't they have, do they have anything like they changed it with UFO? Is it unidentified reptilian, maybe fricking DNA or something, uh, underwater, UAP, fricking, UAP. whatever it is, UAPP, um, uh, <laughs> biologics, yeah, by the way, yeah. by the way <laughs> they started calling them that, calling them that. biological, which is something holes. they were calling, calling the, 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 the shots. shots. They were calling those were biologics, calling those biologics. Yes. So we now have spike protein, which is a fusogen, and there's it can be no it can be no other thing, okay? And then you introduce this alien DNA into each of the individuals who receive the shot. Now what do you have? You have spike proteins opening up the cell membrane, letting in the dynabeads, the paramagnetic nanoparticles, and this DNA that supposedly we were told was not in there, but it was. And here we are. Is this, is this possibly just them cutting corners in order to mass produce all this stuff to vaccinate no, the world? No, I don't think it is. That's um, sort of, that's sort of this, this doctor's claim. He's trying to say it's money. I don't think it's about money. I think this is targeted. And until we know what that DNA is, we can't know their motives exactly. And they're playing the game. They're playing both sides to the middle and the fact, hoping the fact that nobody figures it out. Just like with Hunter Biden and the payments from Ukraine and China, it'll remember, it'll take 10 years before everyone figures out where this money came from and where it went. We're exactly. there with the DNA. Exactly. It's all going to be too late by the time it all gets figured out. Right. That's the idea. They didn't give a damn. They figured they can play out the time and mm -hmm. just hope for the best. And or I mean, they, maybe introduce new new pandemics to stop the activity in court and yeah. freeze the research behind trying to figure out exactly what they were trying to do. Exactly. They'll just do more sh uh, lockdowns or what have you so that, and you, you know, and, and oh, no more mix, court activity at the moment. You'll no, never figure it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as I as I said, there's a lady who, who will watch in a bit here who uh, basically respectfully disagrees with him in his conclusion that it was an accident. And she basically says this this was no accident. So we'll get there eventually. I just want to play a few minutes more. Um, any final comments? All right, here we go. So I know it's a little bit of nerdy science, but it has regulatory implications for, for you guys. <clears throat> um, 
we can we can measure the quantity of this stuff pretty easy in the lab. This is we're we're good at doing this kind of stuff. This is the same. We made a little PC. A colleague of mine at at MIT made you know from who who used to work for the the Broad Institute at MIT. He he made a little uh, PCR test and we cloned it here. This is similar to the PCR test that you all took for the spit test. Okay, same same idea and same expertise behind it. And we can quantify exactly how much of this stuff is in a vaccine or any other tissue. And, you know, I estimate that there were about 2 billion copies of the one piece that we're looking for in every dose. And if you look back at that map I showed you where it's all these little, the, the little piece that we're looking for is just that little bit right there. Okay. But if you see 2 billion copies of this, there's about 200 billion of everything else. So what this means is that there's probably about 200 billion pieces of this plasma DNA in, in each dose of the vaccine. And it's encapsulated in this lipid nanoparticle, so it's ready to be delivered inside the cell. Okay, this is a bad idea. My conclusions from this, um, we should check a bunch of people. Ah. My conclusions from this, or I should learn how to run PowerPoint. Um, we should check a bunch of vaccinated people getting tissue samples, especially if we focus on harmed people, but that's not necessary. We could also just focus on regular unharmed people and see if this plasma DNA is integrating into the genomes of any of their stem cells it leaves a calling card that is there. One of the reasons why I'm focusing on this is because it's kind of different from a lot of the other imagined harms where you can't really prove it. You can be suspicious because of the timing, but you can't really prove it. This one, you can prove it because it leaves a calling card. Okay. Um, you find it in the stem cells of harmed people. It's equivalent to finding a certain type of lid in someone who is now dead. It's, pretty reasonable to assume that that's what caused it okay i'm gonna pause real quick um we've got some comments from drizzle he is confirming that we've got the right idea when it comes to these gene drive mechanisms um he he says that it can even be human dna but it's manipulated at the genetic level the mechanism mechanism functions a hell of a lot like crispr which is what they use to modify plants um man other stuff it's what they use to do interspecies genetic sort of combinations, right? Well, and and apparently they they want to help uh, people have not defects um, by doing it before birth and that kind of thing for in vitro and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's in vivo, isn't it? When it's actually in the human body. Oh, if, if they're doing it inside the human body or before it goes in the human body, I guess that might make a difference. I'm not sure which it is. Well, and that's kind of what it seems like they did. They basically turned everybody's body into a giant CRISPR factory. And, yep. and that was my objection with the mRNA. And now what we've seen, it all plays out. They, that's exactly what they were doing. They were turning the human body into just an all-out circus of genetic editing. So I want to say, I know this is like pretty dense stuff for people that don't have a background in science, 
And I guess I'll halfway apologize for that, but it's kind of like it's important. We all we all need to develop some scientific literacy so that we don't get fooled, right? We all were smart enough to read the tea leaves early on, whether we were scientifically minded or not, we could smell that something wasn't right and acted accordingly. I believe we, we um, could smell it. Didn't pass the smell test. Didn't, didn't pass the sniff test. But the reason I really like want to dive into this pretty deep and I have like five other um, witnesses, but we're going to not watch nearly as much of their testimonies. I just want to give everybody sort of a snapshot of what was discussed at this hearing because as far as I know, South Carolina is the only state doing this at the moment. They are kind of, you know, leading the way, so to speak, as far as bringing this stuff to light. Um, so credit where credit's due, I think. Um, and just maybe another minute or so of this guy, and then we'll switch to the lady that kind of disagrees with him on certain points. Um, before I play on, though, any thoughts? Uh, I was just going to read out the definition uh, vivo versus in vitro. Uh, in vivo means research done on a living organism, while in vitro means research done in a laboratory dish or test tube. Cool. And there All you right. are. Let's roll also, on. Also, one quick oh, thing. You ahead. don't have to have a PhD to know when you're being lied to. True. Well, true. or when they're contradicting them, themselves all the time. Reverse transcriptase works. It doesn't work. Spike proteins are safe. They're not safe. We just heard a bunch of crazy contradictory bullshit the whole time. Yep. Agreed. Well said. Uh, the royal we, meaning you guys, should insist that the FDA force Pfizer to get the DNA out of the booster and all future versions of this vaccine. I'm a real fan of this platform, okay? I think it has the potential to treat cancers. I really believe that this platform is revolutionary and in your lifetime, there will be mRNA vaccines against antigens in your unique cancer, okay? And, but they got to get this problem fixed, okay? And, I, and I, right now, I think the financial incentives are too great to just keep on rolling with it, and it's going to take some encouragement to get it out. The regulation that allowed this DNA to be there in the first place. I don't think that this, the amounts there actually exceed the regulation limits. In some batches, it may. In, in the two batches that I looked at, one of them, it was just under the limit, and one, it was just over the limit. My colleague in Boston has looked at a fair number of other batches, and there's a handful that are super high, and there's a handful that are super low. But the fact that there is a regulatory threshold for amount of DNA allowed in a vaccine is a throwback to an era when we were talking about vaccines that were like a recombinant protein that you are a dead virus, you know, attenuated virus produced in, in CHO cells or something like that. And the DNA that might be in it is naked DNA. And you might have a little bit in the vaccine. That's not a problem because naked DNA gets chewed up immediately upon vaccination. And there's no real mechanism for it to get inside the cells. They inappropriately applied that regulatory limit to this new kind of vaccine where everything is encapsulated in this lipid nanoparticle. It's basically packaged in a synthetic virus able to dump its contents into a cell. So I'm thinking Hanlon's razor here. 
Okay. I don't think there was anything nefarious here. I think it was just kind of a dumb oversight. Can, can we go to that real quick? He is completely negating the idea that the spike proteins are fusogens, and that is exactly how that DNA gets into a cell. Mm. Yeah. Again, and he should know that. He's cherry picking. He is. This is a absolute absurd level of deflection here. They're getting pretty just, good. They're pulling out the big guns as far as the talent goes. This this guy is a plant. You think he is you think? full of shit. Mm-hmm. He's giving oh, me it, some significant. He's giving me some real serious Mark Hamill vibes, and I'm really not digging it. Right. I, I, I like how you use the word encouragement. Like we should encourage the the correct way of doing it. Not like yeah, can we kind of please do it right, even though we're yeah. killing everybody? Would that be okay? How, how exactly are you going to encourage that? Are you oh. going to financially incentivize it somehow? Because I don't. No, think we're so. going I to execute people. Incentives are somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> And also that he's a huge, he's a huge proponent of the mRNA platform. Like that's the whole issue. It's like, there's no way that you can now go forward with anything mRNA. They've already proven that they want to hijack it and use it for all for nefarious purposes. And they know it can be done and they know there's no one's going to stop them. And we know we can't trust them. He is actually invalidating the reasons behind the mRNA is that it is not whether or not it works. It's that we can't trust you. Absolutely. That's I'm, the problem. I'm sorry to say it ad nauseum, but we are still relying on a system that's nefarious to fix right. this. Mm-hmm. It's insanity. The so same system that's insanity. trying to kill all of us is the same one that's supposed to save us now? Oh, exactly. really? Right. Oh, well, let's bring out, let's drag out the inverse vaccines. What do they call it? Come Stockholm on, Prisker. Syndrome. Bring them. Stockholm syndrome. That's actually a decent, decent correlation there or That's what uh, it analogy is. yeah you know this lady makes a comment at some point about how she says she believes that previous doctor was you know maybe on the right track but that he is where she was three years ago you know she is fully with us as far as i can tell um so maybe this can uh you know make you feel a little better rob but uh she i you know she's she's pissed I'll put it that way. In the clinical trials, we saw deaths. We definitely had deaths. That was using process one without the contamination, okay? What may not have been clear is that the, the shots tested on the people in the clinical trials were vastly different than the shots tested or given to people released on the population. Um, I'm short on time, so I'm trying to fit this in. Basically, people were given in the clinical trial a clean shot. People, everybody else was given these contaminated shots. Every single vial that's been tested by every scientist around the world is contaminated with these plasmids. And they're cont- some are contaminated when, when Kevin McKernan first tested the vials. He found that uh, one of the vials contained up to about 30% uh, of the nucleic acid material was in fact DNA. So this is not some residual contamination that's carrying over. This is significant contamination. Why does that matter? Uh, Gene therapy was never brought to market even though it's been over 40 years in development because in the past it caused latent cancers that developed two to four years after these were given because it caused lethal autoimmune reactions. Even when you were producing human proteins, not viral proteins, 
not bacterial proteins that you are displaying on the surface of your cells. Think about the logic of this. In traditional gene therapies, and these are gene therapies, they would be classified as gene therapies. In traditional gene therapies, you send in a genetic message to make a missing protein. That protein is identical to the protein that should have been in your body, but you're missing. This time we're sending in a sequence and asking it to make a piece of a viral protein and we're displaying it on our cells and then our body is attacking it and killing those cells. It doesn't stay in your arm. They said it would stay in your arm. It goes to every single cell in your body, every tissue in your body. It goes to your brain. It goes to your bone marrow where then your body is able to attack these cells. It is not a healthy platform for this. There's a difference between using this technology for cancer or for fixing inborn errors in metabolism as compared to using it in a vaccine. There you understand the risk. Here the risks were not told to people. Um, with this DNA being present, what Philip did not touch on is that there are sequences within these plasmids. I personally feel that this is an intentional um, I believe that there is nefarious intent. And I'm going to tell you why, and it's something that he didn't touch on. Uh, there are SV40 sequences. <clears throat> excuse me. There are, there are SV40 sequences within the plasmids that were not disclosed to the regulators. The SV40 sequences, if you'll recall, the SV40 virus was a contaminant of the polio vaccines. It is thought that that contamination of the virus, which is on oncogenic, caused many of the cancers for the next several decades from the people in the people that received these vaccines. Now, the whole the whole SV40 virus is not in the shots, but what is in the shots is a special sequence. It's called a nuclear localization sequence, which is in the shots to take the plasmid DNA directly to the nucleus of human cells. It is not needed to grow these in bacteria. You would not have to use this to grow it in bacteria for the purpose that they said it was for, to make lots of copies. This sequence takes the DNA to the nucleus of human cells where it can then be integrated or where, as Philip said, it is most likely to be integrated. So all this about there's no DNA in the shots, they will not go to the nucleus, they will not integrate with your DNA is not true and they knew it from the beginning because they knew the plasmids were there. That's a problem. There's also an SV40 promoter only designed to be expressed in human cells, not bacteria cells. Now, Philip has checked in something he didn't say, which is good news uh, for people. Dr. Bulkholz, I keep saying Philip, uh, which is good news for people, is that most of the sequences were broken. Had they been intact, and if there are any that are intact, and this is something he should have said, we have to check, they can infect the E. coli in your gut. That's what they're designed to do, to infect, the e. coli, to, to infect E. coli, which means you can be a perpetual spike factory because they're self-replicating and they would self-replicate in the bacteria of your gut and then make spike over and over and over again. That's a problem. They also carry an antibiotic-resistant gene cassette to canamycin and neomycin. Canamycin is the main antibiotic used to treat tuberculosis.
Neomycin is another antibiotic that's widely used. People that receive these, if it transfects the E. coli in your gut, it can make the, your gut um, and other bacteria, not just that, it can make them resistant to those antibiotics. That is a huge, huge risk. Um, and it's something that's known for plasmids. It's something that they've, uh, they're careful to make sure that you don't have these antibiotic resistance genes if they're making something that should go into gene therapy. And now it's here. Now it's present. Um, I've worked for several months to try. Okay, I'm going to pause for a second. So she just kind of briefly referred to um, antibiotic resistant genes that are apparently in this sequence. So not only do you have the potential to become a spike protein factory, but you could also have genetic sequences for, you know, basically that would make these antibiotics useless. Am I understanding her correctly there? Yes. And, um, tuberculosis resistant, um, um, strains, are severely prevalent, especially in um, in Africa right now. They have one. There, it's it's gotten to the point where the the names are ridiculous. They, it's like uh, super super extra resistant or something like that. So it's like it's there's like there's nothing that a person can take that will treat or alleviate their tuberculosis if they catch it. There are some strains they have no cure for. They have no treatment for. And it's to the point now where it's it's completely bonkers. We have um, we've got a few people. Actually, we've got oddly enough, we do have a patient at the nursing home now who has um, tuberculosis. She's on medication for it, and she's probably the first person in years that I've had that is being treated for tuberculosis in the U.S. Um, I know there's a lot, but there's it's the first one that I've come across just in my area, and um, she's on it, and I do believe she was vaccinated. It's probably worth keeping our eyes out if you start hearing about TB. Well, we we have started seeing an increase in, um, <clears throat> and I mentioned it in the in the forum chat previously. We have been seeing an increase in a condition called bullous pemphigus and or bullous pemphigold. And it is basically where fluid-filled blisters appear on the extremities and at random. And mm -hmm. they, they're, there's no apparent reason for it. They just appear out of nowhere. Uh-oh. Uh, I've gotten that. And I didn't know what it was from. Thank yeah. you for letting me know. Yeah, it's called bolus pemphigus. And it's it was like treated... a pimple on my hand. I, I was yeah. like, what the hell is this? It's a, it's a fluid-filled blister. Usually yeah. there's multiple. So it almost looks like... Like a it rash. almost it almost looks like uh, shingles to yeah. a, to a degree, but it doesn't follow the nerve track. So, if it's just widespread, just random all over the body, that's probably what it is. We had one lady at the nursing home who got it, and hers um, hers started started out with fluid, and then they turned into blood filled. So she had these really dark red blisters all over her legs, and we couldn't figure out where they were coming from. And then, so the the, the nurse practitioner that I work with, she's starting to put two and two together and she's starting to believe that it's related to the COVID shot mm -hmm. and it's, well, it's here's, autoimmune here's and it's, it's treated with ster with topical steroids. 
other people are coming up with that. I've never been injected and I ended up with mm -hmm. something on the back of my hand and it was like pimples. And yeah. I thought to myself, well, maybe it's, maybe I spilled gear oil on my hand or my gloves were leaking when I was working around something. But, uh, yeah, it was really strange. And it ended up with like strawberry marks as yeah. they like filled up with blood. Not all of right. them did, but some of them did. And then, um, and then when they resolve your skin is like, it's a uh, hyperpigmented for a little while. Um, for me, I, I, my scars, I I'm hyperpigmented when I get scars. So they, they stick around for a very long time, but, um, but these will have like, um, like pink new skin color, uh, discoloration to them. Um, but they don't, I mean, from, and it's, it's, it's another vector of infection that you can get because if those sites become opened or if the blisters burst, you can uh, get bacteria or something in there and can cause a, a major infection, but um, it's treated with uh, topical steroid creams. You know, I have a friend who um, just a few weeks ago, she had really gnarly blisters all over her arms and she had no clue what it was from except she she thought it might have been like poison sumac because they had been clearing brush around their house so that was their first could have been but it looked very it, similar to the did photos did it resolve that, did it resolve with anything that you used to treat poison I, I believe, ivy or poison sumac i believe she got steroid cream yeah and they went away uh, huh it went away was she vaccinated so are, i i don't think so but i'm not 100% sure it could have been poison sumac could have, but, but I've never, I've never, I've worked around. It's just I've, one of those, <laughs> it's one of those things, you know, that's, they, it's, it's like, uh, they intentionally made it to where you would have these random occurrences so that you can't pin it down to any one mm, particular exactly. cause. So did anyone see what I posted up a link in the private chat? It says that new research supports finding, explaining why some patients may test positive, basically long COVID. Okay. Now check this out. Let me read this real quick. Uh, the original paper intended to solve the puzzle of why some people who had COVID-19 were still testing positive long after recovering from the disease. The answer the researchers found was that parts of the viral genome were reverse transcribed into the human genome, meaning that viral RNA, vi viral RNA, which you know, mRNA is very similar, was transcribed or read directly into DNA, and then that DNA was stitched into the cell's DNA. Basically, what they're saying is this reverse transcription that they said could never happen is actually the cause of long COVID and likely the cause of why we see people who are vaccinated who suddenly just start testing positive for COVID for no damn reason. This is the reason. The reverse transcription uh, mechanism is much more prevalent than they said it was. They lied again. I think it's worth this as always to point out that the tests, the um, PCR tests are bogus and they can yes. show up whatever. But also, um, I mean, this is sort of a tangent, but it's on the same subject. Um, I think this might have been on no agenda. They were saying that there's some Japanese um, studies that um, they they were analyzing the um, DNA 
mRNA um, signatures going back through the strains of COVID. And they kind of concluded that they were probably being like these new strains of COVID were probably being synthetically manufactured because they did not have the same commonalities as some of the original ones. And some of those, at least some of those um, weirdnesses that you would see in that DNA would um would uh evolve along with they they'd come they they'd be present in the new strains and they're not so i'm sure uh i will relieve some of the listeners and maybe even some of us in the forum here who you know this stuff is pretty dense and it it does um almost give you a headache if you don't have the you know, education to understand it all. Um, I think you can pick up what what's being laid down for the most part, even if you didn't study molecular biology. But we are going to shift into more of the legal side of things and the regulatory side of things here shortly, which will be a hell of a lot more accessible for some people. Uh, I do just want to play a little more of this woman, though, because I find her body language and her tone very interesting in that she is she admittedly is in a rush to get on a plane. Uh, so she has a limited window of time, but you can tell she's like exacerbated. Like she she's trying to get it all out because it's so fucking important. And you can tell she really fucking cares. Like I almost sense that she's like on the verge of emotion at times um, because of how strongly she feels about this stuff. So I'm going to play it on and we can discuss it at the end. Try to get these shots recalled completely recalled they're dangerous excuse me i need to get a drink of water but um they're dangerous we're injecting these in our kids we don't inject contaminated medical products in our kids something dr buckholz didn't touch on as well is if there's that much plasmid in the shots there's a very good chance that there's bacterial endotoxin in the shots which means bacterial proteins which can cause anaphylaxis and even death and that may be what caused some of the the rapid deaths that occurred right after people got these shots um there's so much more to touch on. We've seen massive cases of miscarriage and stillbirth. Normally, uh, during years, we wouldn't see more than um, 25 cases of miscarriage or stillbirth for all the vaccines combined. Um, in 2021, we saw 3,428 cases of stillbirth and miscarriage reported into the VAERS system. Remember, no more than, than 25 typically in a year is normal for all the vaccines combined. Um, 3,428 in 221. In 222, we saw 1,525 stillbirth and miscarriage. And in halfway through that year, the FDA or the CDC said they would stop reporting on, uh, they would stop making all their information public because they did not want to encourage vaccine hesitancy or misinformation or misinterpretation misinterpretation of the data so all of a sudden we saw what was what was going like this go like this in february that's artificial we can't even trust the data coming out of the the cdc anymore the fda the fda knows about this contamination they're not doing anything um I'm sorry this is so rushed. I just wanted to address what Dr. Buckholz was not able to. He and I have the same degrees. Um, 
I have a degree in biochemistry and molecular biology, and I'm a toxicologist and an expert witness as a profession nationally and internationally. Um, this is outrageous. I've never seen anything like this in my entire career. We have got to pull these shots and restrict them from our children. We cannot inject these into babies and children. These are contaminated, dangerous, lethal products. I don't agree with Dr. Buchholz, um, but I believe that he's just seeing a lot of this data. Um, I feel like he is where we were three years ago. Um, so uh, that's basically, if I don't leave now, I won't catch my plane, uh, may not catch it anyway. She's going to answer one or two questions real quick, and they're good. You had said earlier nefarious. You felt like this was more nefarious than Dr. Burkholder. In what sense are you saying that? The SV40 sequences, they should not be there. They don't need to be there to grow this into back to grow this in bacteria. I don't think it's an accident. They could have chosen another plasmid that did not have the SV40 sequences. If these sequences sit above an oncogene and, and they're promiscuous, that means they are likely to, to integrate in places more likely than other genetic inserts. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, then they can cause cancer. Insertional mutagenesis anyway causes cancer. Uh, and that's the risk. That's why gene therapies were not brought to market for so many years, because there was a risk of causing cancer from insertional mutagenesis. We never needed these vaccines. We had treatments that worked. Uh, one of our doctors here is going to tell you about that. Hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, I can tell you as a toxicologist, they are not toxic. They're, they're some of the safest drugs you can use. I... There's no reason once the FDA found out about this contamination, okay? And we looked to see endotoxin levels, but they've got them all redacted. Why would you redact them if you were trying to be transparent? Why would you hold the data for 75 years, all of the clinical data, for 75 years from these if you were trying to be transparent? Tell me why. There is something very unusual going on here that is being done differently than it's ever been done before. We don't give experimental products to pregnant women. We don't give experimental products to babies that have a death profile like this. It's not done, it's never been done before. Please protect your citizens. Please, I am begging you to protect your citizens. We've got to get one state to stand up and do the right thing. Do whatever you can so that other states will follow. I'm sorry. Hallelujah to that. Well, Lindsay, any questions? Amen. Uh, again, sorry, I was a little urgent. Okay, I think I thought there might have been one more question, but I don't think there is. She is speaking truth, right? Any, anybody? Sure sounds like it to me. Yeah, I don't yeah. really know. I, she did mention she did something, something that. Um, uh, that getting that, getting that echo. Where is that coming it's from? Not from? It's not from me. <laughs> Everyone, mute except for Fido. Yeah. I have echo cancellation on, so it shouldn't be me. All right. So one of the things that she said that I caught early on in her, um, 
in her speech, she was saying that people thought it was going to stay in the arm. And I don't know where that came from because no vaccine stays in the arm. That's never been a thing. When you get a co- when you get a vaccine, when you get a shot for flu or diphtheria or polio, whatever, it's going to spread out through your body. That's um, that's the whole purpose. It's supposed to go systemic. So that's that, why they had the lipids to yes. basically because help it, it wouldn't because it wouldn't move, it kept because it right? fell apart so easily. Yeah, if it did have something it would not have gone systemic if they hadn't put the lipid nanoparticles in there and so but no vaccine will stay in your arm it's going to at some point spread throughout your body and okay Fido, can i just stop you there just for a sec so the lipids are like the carrier is that like gives it the sort of the structure so it doesn't fall apart before it gets to like the other end of the body or whatever yeah okay thanks lipids are lipids are fats in cells Yeah. yeah Yeah, I'm just making sure. Yeah, so they're like a carrier. Yep. Okay. Cool. Right, because they were finding that the um, the the RNA was because he remember Buckholder, whatever his name was, was saying that it falls that the the mRNA is temporary. It's transient. It 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 dissipates quite. It dissipates after a period of time. Well, this uh, modified RNA that they were trying to inject in people, they found was falling apart too quickly to be of any benefit to anyone. And so that is why they had to encase it in the lipid nanoparticles so that it would get to where it needed to go, kind of like an enteric coated tablet that it will go into your, it will, it won't be dissolved before it gets to your, your gut so that it can be distributed through your body, absorbed through your, your colon lining and then be distributed through your body. Otherwise, like uh, with aspirin, it can break down in the stomach and be absorbed through the stomach. And it won't necessarily get to where it needs to go. And, um, and also the, um, with the reason they started in, uh, coding them is because it can cause uh, bleeding in the stomach because it's so concentrated. And so that's kind of the whole reason they did with the, the, uh, the Pfizer shot was with the, or the, yeah, with the Pfizer shot with the lipid nanoparticles was to get it to where it needed to be so that it could do the most good, quote unquote, good. Can I just interject here? Um, Go ahead. What I'm sort of hearing here is that uh, I guess along the way, I mean, they rushed this vaccine. We all tend to think, oh, there's a vaccine. But, you know, we know there was Moderna, there's Pfizer, there's blah, 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 Johnson & Johnson, those criminal bastards. Um, well, they all are. So what it says is, there are batches being modified along the way. So over the last, it's not all the same batch. It didn't come out of the laboratory and we're not still using that same formula. So how the hell could could they possibly keep mm, records? That There must be, this is what I was saying the other day, there must be, it would be very interesting to look at different geological zones, um, probably where batches went. That's I would say it's probably a local ge- geographical thing because it would be very hard to trace otherwise. And it would be very interesting to look and I mean, it would be incredibly involved, but to look at um, incidences of different things, incidents of different things that have happened, um, you know, like menstruation problems, whatever, blah, 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 all the different categories of adverse reactions and just look at graphs of them because there must be different batches going to different areas so that they 
can keep track if that's what this is. If it's an experiment and they want to see what happens, they must need the results. So how are they keeping track? It's funny you mentioned that. And batch numbers, of course. It's funny that you mentioned that. There was. Okay. I think Fido's think, got an echo again. Somebody else, who's? Uh, can we all mute except for Fido, please? There was a, uh, I think it was uh, the How Bad Is My Batch website. They were tracking the batches, and somebody actually pulled, went through and pulled the data and was looking at it and said that it showed where certain batches went to certain area where the where the most occurrences of um, adverse reactions, the severe ones, um, they were clustered in certain areas of the country, in the U.S. Right, and so they're already a onto lot it. Of, okay. A lot of the Republican uh, states got the really bad batches, whereas some of the more yeah. Democratic areas didn't get as bad. Some of them did. Some of them did get a, get some bad batches, but the highest concentration of bad, quote-unquote, bad batches was located in the Republican areas. Yeah, and this hearing, I believe, is being held in Columbia, correct? South South Carolina, is that right? Yep. yep. Um, that's a red state. I looked it up. Um, I, it's funny how the ladies are wearing red, but that's probably not related. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm just I'm just pointing that out in case it has any kind of slant or bearing on anything. I don't know. So there's been people hypothesizing that there were bad batches and not so bad batches for a while um i think it was a lot of anecdotal type stuff at first the crazy thing is and we'll get we'll get to it but the absolute lack of any attempt to do like post rollout studies of any significance is glaring i mean and actually we're gonna get right into it here i believe um this is a lawyer at the same hearing and he is sharing sort of his expertise he specifically works for a firm that deals exclusively with vaccine um adverse reactions and he's got some good shit to say my only complaint about this guy is he leans so hard into the microphone that it pops every time he you know says a p and i know that's like pot calling the kettle black for me because i <laughs> i'm the same way the dna structure of all its victims <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's a shame that they don't give these people a little bit of mic technique, you know, just True. before they True. go on. You know, it's like, right. Give anyway. them a big, a big dead cat on that thing. Yeah, or yeah, they should stop they all should. that pop. You know. Yeah. Yep. All right, here we go. Stop I'll show pop. you one last video on this to to just maybe drive home this point, okay? Because maybe the CDC can't find it. Maybe the Institute of Medicine can't find it. Maybe uh, Dr. Plotkin. Um, at a loss, there was a lawsuit that specifically involved vaccines and autism. And Dr. Catherine Edwards, you see she's the third author of the standard medical textbook on vaccines. So she is one of the second, third leading vaccinologists in the world, probably. So she appeared as a, an expert in that case on vaccines and autism. So there's no tricky, there's no gotchas, you know, lawyers. She came into that as an expert witness on vaccines and autism in a case where a child got a whole bevy of vaccines. So let's see what she had to say about the question of has the has uh, the claim the vaccines do not cause autism has that been properly studied again this is just the example i'm not i'm not saying vaccines cause autism i'm i'm trying to establish are public health authorities doing the science they need to be able to say yes this doesn't cause myocarditis yes this doesn't cause ridiculous it doesn't you know transverse myelitis see I, 
are they doing the work? I'm just using this as an example. Let's see what she has to say when asked about vaccines and autism. According to your profile, you have done most of the preventable trials relied upon to license many of the vaccines, correct, on the market? Yes, sir. Okay. So you're highly experienced in conducting clinical trials, correct? I'm highly experienced conducting clinical trials. And you're familiar with many of the clinical trials that relied upon to license many of the vaccines currently on the market, correct? I am. In your opinion, did the clinical trials relied upon to license the vaccines that Yates received, many of which are still on the market today, were they designed to rule out that the vaccine causes autism? No. You badgered me into answering the question the way you want me to, but I, I think that, um, that, that I've, that's probably the answer. Is, is, it, is that your accurate and truthful testimony? Yes. In the expert disclosures for this case, it asserts that, among other things, you will testify that, quote, the issue of whether vaccines cause autism has been thoroughly researched and rejected, end quote. It's your testimony that MMR vaccine cannot cause autism. That's correct. It's your testimony that Hep B vaccine cannot cause autism. That's correct. It's your testimony that IPOL cannot cause autism. Yes. It's your testimony that Hib vaccine cannot cause autism. Yes. It's your testimony that varicella vaccine cannot cause autism. Yes. It's your testimony that Prevnar vaccine cannot cause autism. Yes. And it's your testimony that DTAP vaccine cannot cause autism. Yes. And you have a study that supports that DTAP doesn't cause autism? I have, I do not have a study that, that DTAP caused autism. So I don't have either. Do you have any study one way or another of whether IPOL causes autism? I, no, I do not, sir. Do you have any study one way or another of whether Endrex B causes autism? I do not have any uh, evidence that it causes autism, nor that it does not. And what about um, HID titers vaccine? Any evidence one way or another of whether it causes autism? No. And what about Prevnar vaccine? Any evidence one way or another? No, sir. No, sir. And how about varicella vaccines? Let me just finish. Are there any studies one way or another that support whether it does or doesn't cause autism? Part of, of MMR, um, but, but not as uh, varicella by itself, no, sir. No studies that say it does, or no studies that say it doesn't. Um, I, uh, there have been studies that have found an association between hepatitis B vaccine and autism, correct? Um, not studies that I feel are credible. Okay, which study, which study do you, are you referring to when you say that? Well, why don't you show me the study and then I'll see whether I, I agree with it. Who, who is this lady? You know, there's a popular conception about <clears throat> okay. safety. She, he, she, this, okay. He was sharing a video of another, like a lawsuit that he was, um, you know, trying to win. And she was there under oath. He's got a, a number, you know, I'm not sharing them all, but he's got a number of little videos of him um, basically questioning leading vaccinologists under oath. And the whole point of that was that 
she is admitting to the fact that while she has claimed under oath that vaccines do not cause autism, she cannot cite a single study with any shred of evidence one way or the other because the studies simply do not exist. Right. They have okay. never they have never been done. Yeah. He'll explain there have been many studies done that do show it. And she just is like, oh, they're not credible. Yeah, hmm. no, they, they've thrown out every evidence that shows there's a correlation um, yeah. and they act like those studies were never done, but they were done. They've just been deemed, you know, poor quality or what have you. Typical, he, exp- typical modern skeptic. Yes. He'll explain and yet all we're, this. And yet yeah. we're expected to take these people at their expert word mm-hmm. that they know what the hell they're talking about and they mm-hmm. have nothing to back it up with, even though they're huge purveyors of quote unquote, the science, they have no science to stand on. And you don't, (laughs) you don't, you don't get the truth unless you can get them under oath. And then they treat the people asking the question like they're the idiots. Right. And do you remember, I don't know if you guys saw that climate, those climate experts that were sort of in charge of, you know, making a whole bunch of regulations and stuff for the, I think it was for the transport industry or something. None of them knew a, freaking thing that they were being asked as far as the science went and when they were they basically guessed and uh, they were way off like the the question was what percentage of carbon makes up in the atmosphere or something that they've got to get rid of and they're just going oh i don't know five percent and someone said oh i'll go seven you know i mean the the answer turned out to be 0.004 percent or so 0.04 percent it was and you know if it dropped another 0.1 percent with the planet would be screwed so the point being yeah these experts have no freaking idea what they're talking about they're just the useful idiots placed there to take orders so we'll come back to this in a second i just want to read a comment that we got uh from brooke it says loving this topic i always thought the vaccine given to pregnant women was weird because it had just it all it had just all come out covid and the vaccines i am double boosted but mostly because of the scare tactic shit you know, hey, got nothing but sympathy for you. Glad you're, um, you know, coming around to the truth here, Brooke. I I saw in the private chat too, Stella mentioning she knows a couple people personally who experienced um, miscarriage shortly after being vaccinated. This is all very personal for me um, because I was the only person who tried to warn my pregnant sister not to take it. And that was when I was still unsure about how things were going to shake out. It was so crazy and all. And it pisses me the fuck off because she's married to a fucking MD. And I'm just, I'm at the point where I'm not going to tiptoe around you know, her because she's family anymore. Her and I have our issues, but it's, this was a thing. A lot of pregnant women were pushed into doing it because they were told that COVID would cause a miscarriage. And it turns out the fucking vaccine does. You know, I'm not I, I don't know enough to say that COVID is not as bad as the vaccine, but I'm assuming I'm assuming it, you know, the vaccine was worse. And the fact that, you know, her husband wasn't the least bit skeptical, it, it's it's emblematic of the problem at hand. These doctors, these regulators, they are they are so brainwashed that they don't see the folly in their ways. They just trust the CDC to tell them what to do. And that's kind of what this is all working towards, you know, CDC and really overall the WHO and how the WHO is our global government right now. 
It also tells me that a lot of people the medical in the medical industry, for, in this instance, um, are sort of like there's, there's a divide, I suppose. There's the ones that are in it for the absolute love and the interest and they really absorb all the latest material that comes out constantly, you know, repolishing their skills and just immersing in it. And then there's the other ones that have just been through the, you know, medical school indoctrination and they're just doing what they're doing and then they're partying Friday night, whatever, you know. So I guess there is a bit of a divide there. And and those people then probably not asking questions, just following orders, you know, CDC is the king, whatever. But the other people, they must have known there was something up and they were, they, they're the ones that got silenced, obviously. So I'm on the X app, X Twitter, and uh, here's hhs.gov. Uh, 19th of October, 2021, CDC recommends COVID-19 vaccination for everyone 12 and older, including people who are pregnant. Uh, April 15th this year, um, uh, let's see, that's, no, that's not it. But if you look up pregnant under HHS and search it up, you will find them recommending this vaccine to pregnant women and they say pregnant people, which is really obnoxious. Yeah, but it, you'll see it over and over again, just several times. And it's, it's yeah, uh, take the flu vaccine, take this vaccine, that vaccine. They're, they're, you know, this health and human services. No, this is, this is fucking vaccine salesmen. Yeah. I walk my dog by the pharmacy pretty often because there's trash cans over there and I like to throw the poop bags in there. And uh, they've got these signs up on the light, on the lampposts. Um, and, you know, advertising the flu shot and the COVID vax. And I'm just like, man, I want to vandalize that sign so bad. <laughs> dude, dude, I feel that there's there's a um, like a barber shop or something. or It might be a coffee shop, like right a block down from the bar that I like to go to. And they've still got this like mural saying like, you know, mask up, do your part. And I'm like, I want to I want to fucking vandalize the shit out of that that wall. Um, haven't done it yet, but maybe it's about damn time. You know, just, I'll just uh, say, just get some local go, teenagers, give them 20 bucks and you yeah, know, yeah. can of spray paint. Tell them to go do it, do it then. That's bad not idea. a bad idea. That's, you know, a that's, little bit of, yeah, well, that's what the ABC, that's what the agencies do. A so. little bit of legal <laughs> insulation. Now I'll just say, cause a lot of people are still not aware. They never tested this shit on pregnant women Yeah, at all. It's crazy. Not only that, crazy. not only that. But if you'll remember, um, once Pfizer got their uh, statistically significant uh, percentage that was going to help them get their shot uh, authorized, they completely unblinded the entire study and gave everybody in the study the COVID shot. So now there is no way to test test for for, um, um, long-term adverse effects. effects. They blew up their control group. They did. They did. And nobody seems to want to talk about that either. So I'm thinking we just figured it out based on what I'm seeing with the the mute buttons and whatnot. I'm pretty sure the echo is coming through your side bear snare. And I don't know how, but do you have any speakers playing in the background? I did wonder that. It seemed like that. I'm not going to say it with 100% certainty. Um, but anyways, I you know, it's is just it crazy. So uh, it doesn't sound like there's an echo now. But it, it seems to be when Fido talks for some reason. I don't know. I don't know. This this shit's always weird. But um apparently, and we'll get we'll get here with a clip or two. Um, apparently, yeah, like you said, when they got the magic number they were looking for, which was that one less person died 
in the in the uh, experimental group than in the control group. People died in both groups, but one less died in the experimental, and they use that as justification for saying one hundred percent efficacious well, because two is a hundred percent more than one. Let's not forget that they also um, lost track of quote unquote um, a lot of people in the studies who were having adverse events. And then those people just never heard back from them. They just got Mm -hmm, dropped mm -hmm. from the study. They got dropped. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. And if you actually read the study, uh, I don't know, Never mind. I'll let, I'll let the scientists explain because I probably wouldn't do it, do it justice, but um, let's, let's go on with this lawyer a little, a little more. Um, he he's about to kind of summarize and I think he does a pretty good job of it despite, you know, popping the microphone. And then there's a reality to that. There's what the PR machine says. And then there's what you learn when people are under oath and have to actually answer. And you just heard from the two world leading vaccinologists and you saw what the CDC was able to produce when compelled in federal court. On the issue, they say, on the claimed vaccine injury, they claim they have studied more thoroughly than any other vaccine injury claim in history. Just to put it into perspective, these are all the vaccines in the childhood schedule. The ones in yellow are the ones they've actually studied for autism. And these are just some of the ingredients. This is the one ingredient they've actually studied. It'd be easy to actually study it. You just compare retrospectively. They have databases of insurance data, vaccine safety data length with thousands, tens of thousands of completely unvaccinated kids in it. It would be in, in a few clicks, you could easily study this question properly by comparing with existing data, retrospectively unvaccinated kids with vaccinated kids, but they, they won't do it. We've asked many times, um, including, and um, I'm going to skip forward. This is a family with triplets whose kids, all three of them. Um, Mr. Chairman. Yeah. Senator Cash. want to try to summarize up summarize a lot of what you've said, and you just tell me if I'm getting this correct. The health authorities that you presented here categorically state that vaccines do not cause autism, and yet when they're questioned under oath, they say clearly that there's no evidence one way or the other from the studies to indicate whether vaccines contribute to autism. One qualifier on that. They don't say that there's no evidence from the studies. They're saying there are no studies. They haven't done them. Meaning I'm not standing here telling you vaccines cause autism. I am telling you they cannot claim they do not. You know, you you want to make a claim, you need data. At least data, at least a peer-reviewed study. They don't even they don't have that. Last I checked, that's how science is done. So the, the the summary is there are no studies showing evidence one way or the other, except well, for one that they discount. Is that Well, the, the reality is there are actually a number of studies that do show cor- correlation between autism and vaccines, including the hepatitis B study that I referenced there at the end that showed a th- um, babies that got a hep B versus those that didn't have three-time risk of autism. There's the DTAP study from Geyer and Geyer. There's a number. There's the there's a number of other. There's the Mawson study that actually did a homeschool survey of parents who were vaccinated versus unvaccinated. 
that did show a four times risk of autism amongst the vaccinated versus unvaccinated kids. But I'm not here to litigate autism. <laughs> I was just trying to use it as an example of whether uh, they properly studied uh, uh, safety concerns as a reflection of COVID injuries. You know, we have um, at our one group alone, React 19, and there is a over 30,000 individuals seriously injured by COVID 19 vaccine. It's run by uh, folks who, Brand Dressen, who's a former, was in the AstraZeneca clinical trial, and um, and by uh, Joe Oscog, who's a former uh, orthopedic surgeon who, after the Moderna vaccine, can no longer operate because of um, what it's caused to his uh, nervous system. And, um, you know, they've, they're banded together to try to help folks. Um, you know, the federal government, if these 30,000 seriously injured individuals in this one group are going to get proper help, they need recognition that their injuries are from the vaccine because until that happens, treatments are not actually catered to the ideology of the disease. Insurance companies won't cover the treatments. Funding from NIH doesn't flow to find those types of treatments. It's critical that they recognize where the injuries come from, but they're not. I'll give you an example of actually about that right now. I'll show you. I'll show you, in fact, the degree to which they will not recognize injuries. I'll give you, you know, in our firm, we, um, you know, we have a, a whole intake process and we've got and uh, 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 an incredible number of folks who uh, who have come with COVID nineteen vaccine injuries, and, and just to understand, people are like, oh, well, those are folks who have issues with vaccines who call you about COVID, you know, vaccine injuries. No, they're not. <laughs> folks who call us about vaccine injuries uh, don't have issues. Like they don't. People with issues with vaccines don't call us for vaccine injuries because they don't take vaccines. People who call us for vaccine injuries are people who take vaccines. So these folks who took COVID vaccines, they didn't have an issue. That's why they took it. It's always funny to me when they call folks who claim vaccine injuries anti-vaxxers because they got the vaccine anyway. Um, okay. Any thoughts at this point? He he makes so many good points, and I wish I could play his whole thing. I, I was going to jump ahead to another section. Um, towards the end where he hits on something pretty critical, but all of that is pretty massive. The, the fact that he's pointing out why they will never probably recognize the harm they've created. And, and the fact that it leaves doctors in this position of figuring it out for themselves. And so few of them are. I understand the people's desire to um, be be taken care of when they have problems, physical problems after receiving COVID shots or any vaccine. I understand that desire to have their medical needs met <clears throat> and medical costs covered over something they were forced into or tricked into or however you want to put it. At the same time, I'm kind of on this fence where I don't want their money. I don't want their help because they can't even they can't even I take the time to um, to to give these people a platform to say to to recognize them that they are that they were injured by their product and I don't I don't trust them to be able to come up with a solution that isn't going to cause them to be a lifelong customer of their of their products. You know, they, they, they've, they've created a li another lifelong customer with their product, and now you want them to fix, fix it. Well, you're still going to be a lifelong customer of their product. So I don't, 
I kind of have mixed feelings about getting them to cover all of that. But at the same time, getting them to admit that they made a mistake or admit that they did wrong. Even I don't even know that it was a mistake. It was probably completely done on done purpose, on purpose just, to just to see if they, see could, if they could make some money, some off, money of it. off of it. And, and holding, holding them, them accountable, accountable for that, for that, decision. that decision. That's what That's I want to see. I, I think this guy who's giving testimony deserves a shout out, Aaron Siri. He works with I Can Decide or I Can and does a lot of um, litigation and stuff. So he does good work with that organization. But also, um, I just started watching a documentary called Shots. And it's it's one of those documentaries that's done in kind of an entertaining, humorous way. But they were talking about how, um, from the very beginning, the 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 birth of vaccines was part of the eugenics program. That's right. And what I would like to say is that we're sort of, I don't know, forgetting or missing or something the fact that this vaccine was completely unnecessary in the first place. If the immune system, if, if, well, let's, well, how far back do you want to go? You know, the food industry making us sick, et cetera. But let's just go from the vaccine. If the immune system, they told us not to go out in sunlight. They told us not to use ivermectin. They told us not to do all these things. So they did everything they could possibly do to pull down the immune system. And then they made us, some people take this shot. So let's just go back to the very beginning and say, if we were all healthy in the first place, this whole thing was unnecessary. Um, even without consciously getting every, the world healthy, um, there's probably many people who would have just fought it off because let's face it, the flu disappeared. It was just another flu, right? And so, one thing that's pretty well known about vaccines is they destroy your immune system for a while. So even if, let's say, it were to impart some kind of um, immunity to the the virus that it's supposedly um, fortifying you against, it also opens you up to all kinds of other um, immune issues during whatever time if that's forever or if it's a few weeks or months or whatever, you know, it's uh, it does harm your immune system overall. Correct. And, you know, let's also, I'll just, you know, say again that they, there's no way possible that they could possibly predict what the next strain, if you believe in that um, is going to be because like, and then get it manufactured and out to the public in time. I mean, the science is that these things apparently, you know, mutate. How could they possibly know what's coming unless, well, there's two things, unless they're just giving us bullcrap or else they know what's coming because they know what's coming. It's easy to predict the future when you have a hand in making it. Exactly. Well said. Well said for sure. You know, I'm just going to slightly off topic, but it it goes along with the whole idea of cognitive dissonance, which we're seeing a lot of um, obviously like, I just got a text from my mom, group text with the whole family. And apparently my dad and their dog was attacked today by two dogs that got loose. And they got pretty chewed up. I think they're both fine, you know, surface kind of level wounds. But I have almost been attacked by dogs many times walking around in my neighborhood with with Doc. And maybe it's because I'm in the middle of a WTF forum and I have no filter at the moment. 
but I texted immediately back and said, this is why dad needs to carry a gun. I said, I've almost shot dogs that rushed me and doc. They can be dangerous. And of course, um, mom says, well, it wouldn't be appropriate to walk around with a gun when there are kids in the neighborhood. I said, it's called concealed carry for a reason. And I, I fucking love my family, but it's so frustrating when it's so obvious what the solutions are and what the truth is. And people refuse to acknowledge the validity of our arguments because they are so heavily programmed. Okay. I just had to throw that in there because it was a little bit of a distraction for me. And I got a little emotional about it because fuck what's appropriate. Okay. Yep. If, if a dog is trying to chew your legs off, fuck that dog. You know, Shoot I hope it. <laughs> he kicked the shit out of him, but I don't know if he did or not. I don't know. You know, it's just, I mean, like that, it, that was just a little bit of a shocker for me. I hate to hear my dad, you know, got hurt. And I, you know, like I said, yeah, grateful. So sorry, Mike. Um, but guys, I mean, I'm not biting my tongue anymore with anybody. Fuck it. Yep. Good on you. So one anyways, of my friends does, does was, he have to get the rabies vaccine then? Probably, probably. Good. One of my friends was mugged out walking his dog. Um, so it, it it's not just dogs out there that you got to look out for. It, it, you're you're put in kind of a vulnerable position, and uh, the way the guy did it, he didn't point the gun at him. He pointed the gun at his dog. That's so low. Yeah, sorry to hear that, Mike. Uh, Mike, uh, nephew, a couple months back this year, a couple, couple months ago, he was walking his dog, and there was another lady in the neighborhood with two dogs, and they both attacked his dog. He went in to kind of break it up, and the other two dogs attacked him, and he got bit on the neck. And he's a teenager, and they took him to the hospital and everything, and he's okay now, but they said, you know, if he were a young child, he'd be he'd be dead because he was real close to his uh, jugular, you know, or carotid artery right yeah, there. One, one inch to the right and he's done. Right. Yeah. And and this is the thing. So my you know, my family, they're all they're all doing well for themselves. They all live in very safe neighborhoods relatively. Yours truly excluded. I don't walk out the door. In fact, I don't even take the gun off when I'm in my place you know and point being even if you think you're in a safe place shit still happens they live on a golf course they don't expect anything but shit still happens i got a little worked up about this just now but you guys get it and i appreciate it i just had to tell you all that um i'd like to go back to this lawyer for a little longer if that's all right you know, this is, this is, I knew this was going to be a pretty dense episode guys. And I appreciate that. We're like, we're, we're there for it. Okay. I knew y'all would be there for it. So, um, let's, let's go a little bit longer and then I'm going to jump, uh, you know, a handful of minutes and I'll be done with this guy, but he, he really hits the nail on the head in my opinion. So, um, 
uh, I bring up autism as a reflection of how science is not really properly done when it comes to claimed injuries from vaccines. With the COVID vaccine, they actually have done studies uh, to a degree that is unprecedented from our vantage point as as somebody who works in the area of vaccines and the law and and that's to use science. I'm I'm not an MD. I don't have a PhD. I don't get to just say things about vaccines in court or otherwise. I have to prove them. And so we, we, we have to look at the evidence. We don't I can't draw on uh, credentials, and, and and that's what we have to do. So um, when you look at, um, um, let, let me actually, I think, maybe also address your point in the following way. Federal law provides that the pact is inserts in Section 6.2 should include, quote, only, and I have the CFR provision right there, those adverse events for which there is some basis to believe there's a causal, not correlation, causal relationship between the drug and the occurrence of the adverse event. So those injuries that you see listed, that we read before, uh, uh, Senator, from the hepatitis B package insert, that is the standard deployed to list the injuries, okay? Here is the section 6.2 of the Moderna vaccine. Just take a look at this list. It's got three things on it. It's got myocarditis and pericarditis, which will count as one, right? Inflammation of the heart or the heart lining. It's got anaphylaxis, an immediate allergic reaction, or syncope, it's fainting. That's what it lists. That is all the pharma companies. So I hope that reflects to you the bar, the high bar, before they actually put something here, you know? I mean, the, 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 you know, at our firm alone, for example, we have reports of individuals who feel like their skin's always on fire after COVID vaccine. Never had these reports from any other vaccine. So it appears there's an immunological reaction that's causing the nerve endings, which is not uncommon. I mean, look at Guillain-Barre syndrome, transverse myelitis, the accepted vaccine injuries, they're neurological. There's a very direct correlation. There's a, a, a deep connection between the immune system and your, and, your, and your nervous system. In any event, we have now a number of individuals who called our firm, one firm, with reports of this type of issue. There's no way that's random. A bunch of people didn't just come up with the fact that their entire body feels like it's burning all the time after a COVID vaccine and called our firm. But it's not here. And so, and there are numerous other clearly distinct, unique injuries from COVID vaccines that are not on this list either. This is, by the way, the hepatitis B that we went through earlier. Look at this list. And this shot is given to a one-day-old baby, two and six months old. Um, and I think that over time, the COVID vaccine might have more as well. Okay. Um, Mr. Chairman, yes. question sir. as well for just a moment. Um, yes, sir. I'm interested in solving problems. If, if there's an unethical position that physicians take that says that they can't go back and study it because clinician studies had already been done or whatever, seems to me that that's is that a federal rule among physicians or or are these folks that are doing this type of work so um before a clinical study or a study will be done there's something called institutional review board approval irb approval that every scientist will get no scientists including all the doctors in this room if they go out and they do a study without irb approval they will they will be in big trouble they can lose their license and go after them i'm not aware of any irb board that would approve a study of of a vaccine using a placebo control where there's an already licensed product but here's the problem with that senator the problem is this they never studied the first vaccine for every given disease in a placebo control so 
chickenpox vaccine, first one ever, right? So why not use a placebo control? They didn't. They gave a very small group of people a shot of neomycin and antibiotic. Why would you do that? Or Prevnar 13, the very first vaccine, Prevnar 7, was licensed in a trial against another investigation vaccine, which is, again, something I couldn't make up if I was trying to make stuff up about vaccines. Okay, so if you if you missed it, what he's saying is a lot of these trials, their quote-unquote control group was given a different experimental vaccine. So there is no you know true control group with these studies. And you know, again, his testimony, it's an hour and a half long. I was fascinated. I highly recommend. All of this stuff is on YouTube, at least for the moment. Um, the channel is SC for freedom okay south carolina for freedom but it's sc space for the number space freedom and all of these testimonies are interesting at at a at a minimum this one i thought was fascinating i wish like i said i could play the whole damn thing but he's talking about the complete lack of sound science in these studies and the reason is because of the legal indemnity that they enjoy with vaccines they are not liable so there is a perverse incentive to avoid doing good science obviously you know like if 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 they were to find out there were problems with it they wouldn't be able to sell it so they might as well not find the problems sell the shit out of it and you know figure it out on the back end right we heard people say that about the covid shots It's like, oh, well, we'll see what happens. Let's just do it and hope for the best. It's like, no, that's not how it's supposed to work. Seems to be how they're doing things these days because the prime minister is talking about, yeah, just change the constitution. We'll do this referendum and we'll figure out the details later. So, yeah, it's just, (laughs) what the hell? Well, if there there aren't any other comments, go ahead. I did want to say one thing. Um, there is a, there was a post that I came across about the hepatitis B vaccine that they give newborns. I'm trying to find it. Um, and it was talking about, it was from the CDC themselves where they talked about the study that they did where that got them approval for, uh, putting it on uh, the childhood vaccine schedule and the, basically the, the study that, that got them to um, allow them to give this shot to infants. And I guess that was pretty far back when I posted it. Um, they, the study was done on just like a handful of babies and they had, there was still some that had like significant adverse reactions to it. And so, I mean, it was a pretty, it was a pretty, uh, pitiful study actually that they used for their justification for giving this hepatitis B vaccine to babies. And I don't seem to be able to find it right now, but I'm going to find it again later. I guess maybe you can, I'll give it to you and you can, um, I'll give you the link to the CDC website where it talks about it, but it talks about the immunogenicity of the hepatitis B vaccine. Here it is right here. I just found it. Okay. So it says it was for the diphtheria. All right, Tori, you got to go away. Um, let's see. It says it was for the diphtheria, not hepatitis B. I'm sorry. 
from the CDC's own website. It says that no one has ever studied the efficacy of tetanus toxoid and diphtheria toxoid in a vaccine trial. That's on the CDC website. And it says, however, experts infer efficacy from a protective antitoxin level. A complete vaccine series has a clinical efficacy of virtually 100% for tetanus and 97% for diphtheria. A complete series is three doses for people seven years or older and four doses for children younger than seven. But no one has ever studied the efficacy of tetanus toxoid and diphtheria toxoid in a vaccine trial. And they they're giving tested, this to children. They never tested COVID vaccines for whether or not they stopped transmission. They don't, they don't care. They don't fucking care because they don't have to care. They put so much more effort into testing safety and efficacy for drugs than they do for vaccines because you can sue if you're harmed by a drug. I'm going to post just, this in the chat and you can yeah. add it to the source. Uh, the, I am. I am, by the way, going to put all of the links uh, to these videos in the show notes for anybody that wants them. I will also awesome. share that link and anything else that comes up. But you got something for us there, Bear? Oh, it just occurs to me, like the people who make these decisions, what slaves they are, you know, like even as rich as they are, as as successful as they are and everything, like they're such slaves to uh, whoever the puppet masters are or whatever like they're they're kind of owned you know they're doing this thing they're they're saying these things that they know aren't true and they're you know it's a selling your soul thing but um yeah just that that occurred to me every man has his price they you say know, you, yeah that's that statement bear snare um i i decided to bring the video back a bit because he actually confronts one of these regulators about the conflict the inherent conflict of interest um here let me pull it back up stand i'll play that for you briefly is there a way to raise the volume i wish very very yeah it's pretty shitty okay the audio is too bad to work with so i'm just going to say basically he he confronts her he says, you have been paid as an advisor to Pfizer, and now you are on the regulatory oversight committee for the vaccines. Is that not an inherent conflict of interest? And she tiptoes around and tries to claim, well, you know, they they paid me as an advisor, but this oversight committee is totally independent. There is no conflict of interest. And he's like, yes, there is, <laughs> you know, like, don't be don't be so fucking flippant about this i i think we should just point out for the listeners her necklace is all the rainbow colors and everything like she, oh, go she looks miss very that. she's uh like 70 years old but she's very woke obviously yeah all right i'm gonna play just the last minute of of him um his like final statement and then we can move on i know it's getting we're getting long here guys two and a half hours um i will i will offer anybody that needs an out you're welcome if you have to take off you know these these forums usually go about two and a half three hours but i got a feeling i'm gonna carry this one on a little bit even if i have to you know do it solo uh so at any point if you need to leave let us know you know we'll say goodbye but there's a few more clips and i, I just know it's gonna take some more time so wanted to 
throw that out there. Um, no but yeah, worries. let me let me play this on a little bit. Thanks, Mark. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Doesn't link to the FDA because we we uh, we had to get a copy of it. But it's this is the FDA doc, excuse me the CDC document. These are the adverse events of special interest pre-specified medical conditions. This is in the de document designing VSAFE. Sorry, it includes again myocarditis, pericarditis. But again, they were not checked the box. Um, instead, the medical care. Here's the here's the here's the part that where they do health impact I talked about. Here is over 40 studies that the CDC published saying vac COVID vaccines are safe. And what do they rely upon? They relied upon these bears data and these safe data. But they only included one week, the first week of people reporting health care after um, uh, the, the data from the first week after getting the shot. And that still was like two percent, one percent. Still concerning. I don't know why. When we finally got the check the box data, what we found was seven point seven percent reported needing medical care after COVID nineteen vaccine, four point two percent in the first six weeks after getting the shot. These are folks who uh, that is an incredible number. They say the whole point of the vaccine is to keep people out of the hospital. Seventy percent of these folks who reported need medical care uh, were hospitalized, emergency room, or urgent care, and on average two to three times they went back for that medical care treatment. This is the CDC's own data. This data is from 10 million Americans, so it's far bigger than the clinical trial number, and it's not filtered through the pharma companies. It's probably the best indication you're going to get of what the real adverse event rate uh, from this vaccine is because um, uh, it was done on large numbers without filtering. Okay, um, and, and you can take a look at this. It shows an increasing. This is just um, the percent seeking medical care, and this is not cumulative from the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, three years and older, and you can kind of see how there's an increasing number of folks seeking medical care. Um, well, a, a, a last point is that, you know, this part, I, I just I just have to point it out, is that regulators acted surprised that the COVID-19 vaccines don't prevent transmission. But, uh, you know, I found it comical that they did that because most vaccines don't prevent transmission that are required for school. I know the public doesn't know that, but it's the truth. I mean, Here's the FDA doing a study on pertussis vaccine. Here's a consensus paper on pertussis vaccine. Pertussis vaccine cannot avoid infection transmission. Pertussis vaccines do not prevent colonization. They do not reduce circulation of board of health pertussis and exert no herd immunity effect. Here's a, we, we FOIA'd, we petitioned. I'll just skip over all that. Um, I'll skip over all that. Diphtheria vaccine, same thing. Here's a CDC study saying it doesn't prevent transmission. Tetanus is not communicable from person to person. Um, polio. The polio vaccine we've been using for over two decades in America. I'll just read first what the CDC says on its website. Inactivated polio virus vaccine uh, protects people against all three types of polio virus. IPV does not contain live virus, cannot cause disease. It protects people from polio disease, but does not stop transmission of the virus. Polio is proliferates in the intestinal tract. It's, it's fecal to oral contamination. If you want to prevent transmission, you need immunity in your mucosal surfaces. Okay, IgA antibodies. The vaccine is injected into your it only gives you IgG antibodies in your bloodstream, what they call systemic immunity. So it doesn't do anything to prevent transmission. I'm not saying this, by the way. The CDC is saying this right there on your screen with a link. You can go to it. Um, and here's the world. Um, and so, you know, even the, even the polio vaccine, it doesn't prevent transmission. <clears throat> this should have been no surprise that the Nicocca vaccine doesn't either. This actually comprises a lot of the vaccines required. This is the majority of the vaccines required for school in South Carolina. So um, in any event, they could have, by the way, easily test for whether COVID-19 vaccine prevents transmission with 30,000 people in the clinical trial. They should have just given everybody a COVID test once a week in the trial. But, you know, they didn't have enough. Obviously, millions of Americans were all given free tests and everybody was asked to test all day long, including to keep their jobs, go to school. But apparently they couldn't find enough tests to just test the folks in the trial um, once a week. Instead, they only tested you sometimes if you had symptoms. That's it. And that is what they used to determine that 95% number. The Remember the eight versus 100, even though hundreds more had symptoms, never tested in any event. Um, thank you very much.
Uh, I'm happy to take any questions. Oh, wait, um, I can go through the conclusion quickly if you would like. But um, basically, um, you know, I, I was just going to I'll just add them, you know, mandates. You know, the thing about mandates is you only really need them um, when, when there is questions about safety and efficacy. Nobody needs to mandate you to take uh, products such as food or water and so forth. It's when there is a question of the safety and efficacy of the product, really, that, that the, you know, it's always been the, 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 the tool of those um, in, in authority to, uh, and they can't persuade you on the merits. They have to bully you, coerce you, and so forth, to do something, um, especially when it's done from a place of somebody else's interest and those who are dictating it, those who are forcing it don't really fully understand it. Um, I, I think it's just really important that we, at the end of the day, I don't know if you're going to be able to fix all these issues at the end of the day with, you know, conflicted regulators. Are you going to make clinical trials better? Are you going to get rid of the immunity of the federal government level? Are you going to uh, make post-licensure safety happen? Uh, fixing these problems is incredible. The one thing, the last stop in that entire train of problems that we've just gone through, in my mind, comes down to individual and civil rights. That at the end of the day, everybody always has to have the right to choose. And that means that they can't have their job, school, everything in their life, civil right, liberties on the chopping block if they don't conform. Because if, the, if, if, if there's, uh, you know, for folks out there who love every vaccine and every mask, you know, uh, and great, get every vaccine out there, wear 16 masks, live in your basement forever, because that's freedom. That's America. You should be free to do that. But if the day comes, there's a medical product that you don't want and you refuse it, and you can't get a job, and you can't go to school, and you can't go on a plane, then you don't have any rights. Then you're home alone, yeah. and you can practice all your rights by yourself. Thank you. I thoroughly agree with you, Aaron, and I appreciate it. That's why I, I uh, come straight out of the gate with a Senate bill to uh, prevent the mandate. Um, that was an extremely well-presented um, uh, testimony. Uh, does anybody have any questions for Aaron before we move on? All right. <clears throat> I like that guy. He seems like one of the good ones. You know, I don't tend to like lawyers, but damn, we need them sometimes. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I do want to point out, um, and I, I can find the link because uh, I did I did come across it. And I think it was Del Big Tree who um, who shared it on his show. But he was talking because he works with the ICANN um, uh, movement, too the informed action consent network. Um, he said they filed paperwork with, um, with Congress or they did a, a FOIA request and they were asking for documentation to show um, where the manu the vaccine manufacturers had documentation showing that they were complying with the requirement from the Childhood Vaccination Act in the, of 1986, where they tested for safety and efficacy every two years, because that that law requires that they submit documentation showing safety and efficacy every two years to um, to Congress to to show that they're actually doing their due diligence. And the response they got after much hemming and hawing and pussyfooting around uh, many many months. Um, I think it was probably 36 months, 18 months to 36 months. It was quite a long time. After quite a bit of time, they got a documentation back stating that those documents do not exist. He actually not mentioned that, not, not that they that not that they didn't do them, not that they they never did them, because I'm sure they they did like their quote unquote clinical trials in the beginning, but the follow-up stuff that they were supposed to be doing in the meantime since 1986, those documents do not exist. 
he does talk at length about that in that testimony we just saw snips of how um yeah the law from 86 dictates that they mm-hmm. have to do reviews on a regular basis and they they are mandated to constantly seek to make vaccinations safer and more effective but that those That's reviews happened. never happen they in fact happen. the task the task force was disbanded in like the 90s and they just they just don't do it even though they are mandated by law yep. and um yeah these these regulatory agencies are just run amok there's no there's no accountability at all none and then i did share a link um one uh from the new journal new england journal of medicine it was um a study from uh them where they it was published on the immunogenicity and safety of um, the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, where did it go? I just had it. Well, I guess I can pull it back up again. So um, safety and, and, and immunogenicity of SARS-CoV-2, Moderna, the mRNA-1273 vaccine in older adults. And the interesting part of this that I found, and I did kind of read through it, there's a lot of um, lab jargon and stuff in here. Um, I was, I was unfamiliar with, but down at the bottom was the most interesting part for me down at the very bottom. There's a section where it talks about disclosure forms, where it talks, talks about conflicts of interest with the, uh, the study authors. And there's a doctor, uh, Dr. Anderson, he gets, uh, consulting fees from Pfizer and Sanofi. Um, so he kind of works for them. And then there's like, there's a few others where they are, they get um, consulting fees and grant support from the people that are paying them to, that they're doing the study for. So, I mean, direct, blatant, obvious conflicts of interest in this study, to me, completely invalidates the results of this study because those people are already biased and they contributed to this study. So how can I actually trust that this is an independent and um, well-done study when some of the people that are conducting the study are bought and paid for, so to speak? Yeah, if, if you look into a lot of these organizations and studies and things, you'll find it is absolutely rampant. Absolutely. If, if you, I mean, this is sort of what opened my eyes was I did spend a few weeks, I suppose, um, looking at who funds what and who funds what study. Without this is before I sort of started getting into podcasts and things. I was just doing my own research, and and it's astounding. I mean, let, let's the, the blatant example was Tony Fauci, his wife. Right. Now, what she was in charge, I can't quite remember what it was, but I'm sure Fido knows. But yeah, she was handler, in uh, handler. bio <laughs> yeah, bioethicist. She was a bioethicist. She's in charge of uh, uh, the you know what. Of things. <laughs> You know what a bioethicist yeah. is? That's Professional the that's, no. That is the that is the new speak for eugenicists. Yeah, right. Of course, yes. Doctor oh. Arthur Kaplan is also a bioethicist who writes for Medscape, the website, uh, the website um, sponsored by WebMD. He writes the um, the ethical uh, articles and stuff, the ethical questions and things. He also works for DARPA. Yeah, and you've got Bill Gates' yeah. father and all that. You've got yeah. um, Greta Thunberg's grandfather so and all that. They're so all eugenicists. Anybody, 
if you ever hear anybody referred to as a bioethicist, that means they're uh, probably a gene- uh, eugenicist. Yeah. So they mentioned yeah. they mentioned the fact that apparently the standard of ethics are that once a vaccine is licensed, you can no longer go back and do studies, which that's bullshit because that's insane. It, that was that was a requirement for the mm-hmm. 1986 Childhood, Childhood Vaccine, vaccine Act. Act. Well, it also like it reminds me of I think I've told this story before, but like whenever they actually start to come up with cures for things, they suddenly lose funding, you know, like cancer. Yeah. So many people have found cures yeah. to cancer. And I know someone personally who her mom was dealing with it and she got to be part of some Johns Hopkins study where they were using cannabis as and they were they were like injecting it directly into the tumor or something and it was working and then and then the study got canceled and she died of cancer wow never seen again yeah so one of the things that i do when i go looking at these studies because they do they get pretty dense and they are they're chock full of all kinds of information so when you go look at a study, if you want to try to dive into understanding these studies, the first thing you should do is look at the disclosure section of that study, because every study is required to list the conflicts of interest of the authors, if there are any. They are required. And yeah, so they are. they are actually pretty open about it. Um, they don't really try to hide it. So it's right there. So if you want to know how valid this study is, look at the conflicts of interest before you even try to dive into the jargon that they're using and wasting your time, because I think it's a waste of time to, to look at a study that, well, to give too much credence to a study where half of the people are bought and paid for by the, the company that's asking them to do the, the study to begin with. So, yeah. And it, it almost sounds like a cliche now to say that basically Garvey and Bill and Melinda Gates are basically behind, you know, the, (laughs) They're the sort of the head of the snake, I suppose, of the funding for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're probably a couple of levels down, really, in, in reality. But either way, they're, they're the faces of funding. And they're always there. You will always find them if you dig deep enough. It might not be a direct link to a university or a study or what have you, but you will find that if you then look into the people that funded that, that they're probably funded by Garvey or Bill Gates right. or what have you. Or it might be, you know, two or three steps away. But if you persist, you'll find it. It's all there. It's all connected. So um, I realize I didn't, you know, I, with all of these, I've had like timestamps of where, um, you know, I want to play the clip from this next one. I didn't make a timestamp, but I really liked this lady. She's the one that's been in the background the whole time. And um, so I'm just going to like play it from the beginning and we'll, she, she's pretty concise. It's not a very long video. Um, but she is essentially talking about the smear campaign that was waged against hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And, you know, this is not news to any of us, but I think it's worth just hearing her out real quick. Um, God, I know it's like so many witnesses here, but they're, they all got something to offer. You know, I, whatever, I should quit being apologetic because this, this shit's important, but go ahead. Was this all happening during the same yes. session? Yes. Okay. This was like an eight hour um, session. And I, it's, this is what I did all day long. I watched the entire fucking thing um, because like I said, it was just fascinating and in many ways kind of encouraging and in many ways infuriating. Um, but yeah, 
I was yeah. kind of impressed that they gave that other fellow what ninety minutes or something. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's amazing that they allow that much time. It's bloody good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it yeah. takes time. That's why that's why we do it this way on the forum. Like, you cannot condense this stuff down all that much. It it mm. it takes time to go through it. So, well, thanks um, for putting in the work, Mike. Because hey, uh, this is a good deep dive. Yeah, man. Well, it seems to me like a really good summarization of what we've all just gone through. Um, and it's being summarized by experts. You know, it's like we can we can talk all day long about what we've kind of figured out through our own research. But to hear like people in the industry, like drawing these conclusions that we've all suspected, it's it's vindication. And that's not really the reason we're doing this. Honestly, my goal with this episode was to produce something that maybe you could share with people that are on the fence and 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 pull them over. You know, like I a lot of times with the forum, we're kind of talking to our own people. But with this one, I think we could actually maybe change some minds. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but that was kind of my intent here. So I'm going to play this and we'll we'll see what she says and probably find a place to pause it and talk. Um but yeah, this lady just, I really like her. So anyhow. I'll ask one last time. Can we ask questions along the way or should we wait to the end? You can ask whatever you'd like. Okay. Thank you so much. I just, I want to say good afternoon. I want to thank all of you all for the privilege of speaking up for medical freedom for both physicians and patients in this state. Y'all have heard a lot of information today. And y'all have been very attentive and you've asked great questions. And I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say than what has been reiterated already, but I'm going to try to make this personal. My name is Karen DeVore. I have been practicing dermatology in Spartanburg, South Carolina for over 30 years. Um, I have a high volume practice. I see about 50 patients a day. I have been prescribing hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. They've been safe, they've been effective, they've been affordable, and I've been prescribing them for over 30 years. Every time I've written the drug for 30 years, it was off-label. I have not treated malaria in the state of South Carolina, nor river blindness in the state of South Carolina. So why? I mean, I had no pushback from pharmacies or insurance companies for 30 years. Everything I did was technically off-label. Why in 2020? All of a sudden, the FDA was calling ivermectin horse medicine. Physicians were not allowed to write the medicine. Pharmacists would not fill it for you. You know, where were the FDA, CDC, medical boards, pharmaceutical boards to, to be truth tellers in all this? Because I had a long experience writing these safe and affordable drugs. And I knew that there were trials that showed in SARS-CoV-1, that was the virus, you may remember a lot of Asians wearing masks and 2002. And I knew we had no FDA approved early interventions. Patients were basically told, I mean, they weren't even seen by a lot of their primary care doctors. They were basically told to go home and if you can't breathe and you turn blue, go to the emergency room and then we'll give you remdesivir and maybe put you on a ventilator. And this was occurring by many doctors across the United States and other countries were having great results with repurposed drugs hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. I was noticing that my long-term patients on hydroxychloroquine for autoimmune diseases like lupus, they were not getting COVID in 2020. So why wouldn't you try writing these drugs? Why wouldn't you do vitamin D and zinc? What did you have to lose? 
And really, ironically, somebody already alluded to this, South Carolina is a right to trust state. But because these drugs were already FDA approved for human use, even a terminally ill patient on a ventilator at the end of life was not allowed to try these drugs. How many lives could have been saved? And physicians have always had the ability to write off-label drugs. I mean, that just means writing an FDA-approved drug for a disease other than the FDA originally approved it for. Yeah, simple example. I'm a dermatologist. I could not treat cystic acne with tetracycline if I had to stay on FDA-approved labels. Could it be that these safe and effective and readily available drugs would have meant there would have been no emergency vaccine development, no coercion, no propaganda, no fear, no control, no cash cow for big pharma. I know you've heard today the PrEP Act and various other legal reasons that vaccine manufacturers are immune from any liability. Why would they spend time and money improving their product? I mean, that would hurt their bottom line. What other industry is exempt from liability if their product fails, proves dangerous, or is other than advertised? You've already heard the swine flu vaccine in 1976 was pulled after only 32 deaths. I don't mean only, those were deaths. But now we're over a thousand times that many deaths. How many is it going to take? How many hospitalizations? How many disabilities before we recall these vaccines? So I began writing um, ivermectin for COVID-19 patients almost immediately. To my knowledge, not a single patient that I treated with ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine was hospitalized or died from COVID. Not only were there zero side effects, patients amazed me. They called me back. They told me how overnight they felt normal again. Within eight hours, their fever was broken. Their rigors were gone. It was unbelievable. If I had not been witnessing such impressive clinical results, I don't think I would have continued to fight for my patients with the insurance companies and the pharmacies. Why would you deny this for anyone? But, you know, patients couldn't get the meds I was writing. I was practicing medicine within the bounds of my medical license, and both I and my patients were being harassed. Pharmacists refused to fill prescriptions. And unknown to me until COVID, South Carolina has a law, uh, Section 404386, that allows pharmacists to have the authority to refuse to fill any prescription for any reason at any time. I just want to repeat that. Pharmacists in South Carolina can refuse to fill any doctor's prescription for any reason at any time. Are pharmacists liable for withholding treatment? Pharmacists haven't been to medical school. They do not have the right to see and examine and treat patients with prescription drugs. I, I don't know how that's illegal. So supplies of ivermectin become, become limited. Prices are elevated. Patients used to get ivermectin for $20 before COVID. At the height of the pandemic, it was three or $400. And you know what that did? It drove patients to tractor supply. You know what? It did work. It worked just as well. And then doctors and pharmacists started to be audited, including myself, from Blue Cross Blue Shield. Doctors were threatened with loss of their licenses and jobs. 
our own South Carolina DHEC sent letters to, to physicians encouraging them to push the vaccine that was safe and effective and really discounting ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. And then we can get to the issue of privacy and HIPAA laws. How can employers ask your vaccine status? I can't ask about a person's medical conditions when I'm hiring or firing them. Pharmacists started interrogating patients if they thought the prescribed ivermectin was for COVID. I had seen and examined the patients. I had discussed the risk and benefits of the drugs for the patients. I had told them it was off-label. Pharmacists acted like that never happened. And isn't it a privacy issue for them to be questioning patients? Like, are you on valcyclovir for a cold sore or is it your genital herpes? Is it doxycycline for acne or a sexually transmitted disease? And a pharmacist has the right to decline one of those and not the other? And to pay, and insurance companies can pay for one of those and not the other? You know, if that wasn't enough, doctors were harassed and vilified for writing FDA approved drugs that I knew how to administer, I knew how to dose, I knew how to handle side effects, but I wasn't promoting the emergency use vaccines that had no long-term clinical data and that were be given to pregnant women and children down to the age of six months of age. I can assure you no patient was forced to take an off-label drug that they considered dangerous or horse medicine. I cannot tell you people were not coerced and forced to take an emergency use vaccine. And I don't understand why, if you chose to take the vaccine and you put your own life jacket on, I don't understand why you cared so much that someone else chose to make a different decision. Your, your life jacket and your vaccine that works and is safe, as a, and safe and effective should protect you, regardless of if your neighbor puts their life jacket on or not. Well, some patients trusted the government agencies. Let me tell you how that's turned out so far. In the last two and a half years, since the vaccine has been widely promoted and many patients have taken it out of fear and isolation, the patients who took the vaccine still get COVID. And now I see patients and I could not believe the attorney who spoke this morning said he had heard the same thing because in 30 years of practicing dermatology, I've never heard people describe their symptoms this way. I am itching from my bones out I am on fire from the inside. I see the most unusual rashes and they don't respond well to treatment and they last for months or years. I see previously well-controlled autoimmune diseases like psoriasis and eczema and lupus now totally out of control. I see, see aggressive, severe shingles it is more painful, it is lasting longer, and this is even in those who've had the shingles vaccine. I see rapidly growing skin cancers, including basal cells that are just supposed to be traditionally very slow growing. I see squamous cells, cutaneous squamous cells that are metastasizing much more often than they ever did before. And melanomas have become so unusual and much harder to diagnose. They are much more advanced at presentation. And I have to biopsy more and more things. Um, and it's all in vaccinated patients. And then beyond my field, patients that I've seen regularly for six to 12 months, for every six to 12 months for 30 years, they're aging more rapidly. 
They've got unhealthy weight loss. They, their balance is bad. They're falling. They're black and blue. They can't get on an exam table. And you see their medical updates since they were in, and they've had atrial fibrillation, pacemakers, heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, DVDs, pulmonary embolism, Parkinsonism, ALS, tremors, nerve palsies, miscarriages, infertility. Did I mention aggressive, new onset cancers, recurrent stage four cancers after 20 years of remission? I know four people in uh, one small zip code in Spartanburg that have rare leukemias. Three of the four of them are dead now. In over 30 years of medical practice, I've probably only known one or two people who had Lou Gehrig's or ALS disease. And they were distant and not really, you know, third or fourth contacts. I now. Okay. Um, man, I, I like everything she's saying, but for the sake of time, I'm cutting it there. Again, this stuff isn't necessarily news to us, but she did a good job of explaining, I think. Um, any, any comments on that? Uh, the pharmacist being able to restrict drugs as far as I know is in place typically uh, all over the place because they want to be able to restrict people who are seeking out, you know, uh, like pain killing drugs, drug seekers, that sort of thing. Um, so they can refuse people that come in all the time looking for opioids or whatever it is they're looking for. It yeah, shouldn't it's like an be, RSI. Right. It's, it shouldn't be there to restrict people from getting, you know, medications from that are prescribed. That's not the purpose of that. Correct. And that it, it's been ongoing for a while. Um, pre COVID I've, I've known a few people who had trouble getting medications filled from their pharmacy. Um, one lady, she had cancer prior to co the COVID stuff. And she went to a local pharmacy to get her, it was a chain retail pharmacy and they would not dispense her pain medication that she had a handwritten prescription from her oncologist who was ordering this pain medication and the pharmacist said they would not dispense it because the the morphine ratio in the in the dose that they were administering was too high and so i mean the oncologist credentials meant absolutely nothing to this pharmacist and so she called her pharmacist or her oncologist and told her what was going on and her farm her oncologist told her to take it to a different pharmacy and just go somewhere else but that's been that's kind of been the whole thing it's like it's not like she came in and said hey do you think you could just give me all of my uh medication and refills uh all at once and that's not what she was asking for she was just asking for her her supply that the doctor said she could have and then again, when we went to get my husband's medication refilled, they said there was a national shortage. And um, no, 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 I take it back. No, they did the same thing to my husband the first time he got out of the hospital. They said that the morphine ratio was too high and they would not dispense it that way. And so they had to call the physician and get them to change it. And so even though the dose that was being ordered was the dose that we know worked for him. And so... Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a problem for a while now. And we did see it kind of blow up with the ivermectin. Um, I remember we had people were starting to get prescriptions for ivermectin when in the middle of in it was 2021, when we found out that it was actually working 20 end of 2020 and um, everything was going good. And then it's like somewhere along the line, the word got to like the upper 
administrations of these retail pharmacies and the word came down to uh, the pharmacist to stop filling ivermectin. And there were several pharmacies that would not honor ivermectin prescriptions, um, even though the dosages were safe um, and the patients wanted to take the ivermectin. Um, many of the pharmacies, oh, there's quite a few of them that decided they weren't going to honor ivermectin prescriptions. And uh, so people ended up having to go elsewhere. Yeah, I think, Keel, you're you're right that that's probably, you know, the opioid epidemic was probably the impetus for this law, you know, and it's just one more example of unintended consequences. Like you make a rule like this where pharmacists have the right to refuse, but there's no sort of qualifications about, you know, it, it wasn't just for opiates. It was for everything and anything. And here we see the consequences, right? Well, maybe they weren't so unintended, you know, maybe that was part of the 40 chess that they're playing, you know, giving the, the ammunition to the pharmacist that they might then, you know, later on kind of be able to use, right. Say, Oh, nope, we're not going to give them that, you know, and this law exists. So, you know, you have the right to refuse, you know, who knows if it was premeditated or not, but yeah, it, but that policies or that, law has been around for you know years i I worked mm. at a pharmacy in the 90s and i remember that being a thing so mm. okay I mean, it's if but you know what those guys are are playing four five sixty chess or whatever so yeah. they it, that could have been, been in place, place for a hundred years. years it's it's yeah. very convenient that they can just take advantage of it in that way yeah. You know, bear, bear, the echoes definitely coming through your system somehow. It I definitely is. No doubt about it in my Sorry, mind. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to but bet for you, but you know, <laughs> you're doing a good job with the mute button. But you know, yeah, just yeah. FYI, yeah. Sorry, and I also, don't know what also, I can do about it. Also, just back off the microphone just a tad because you're quite loud compared to the rest of us. Beautiful. All right. So Sorry, I don't mean to I'm be gonna... bossy. <laughs> I'm going to move on to the next guy. This this guy, I don't think I'll play a whole lot of him, but he he's hitting on long COVID, um, which is kind of a weird phenomenon, but he he gets to the heart of what's causing it here. Curable by nicotine. I'm going to skip some of this in the interest of time. <laughs> yeah. or- uh, Keely, you bring something funny up. We we discussed nicotine in depth a few weeks back and um, and how it apparently... You know, not medical advice, but apparently he might might have some uses, we'll say. So anyways. First line therapy for treating post-vaccine syndrome and COVID, by the way, is ivermectin, moderating physical activity, low-dose naltrexone, resveratrol, melatonin, 81 milligram aspirin. These are some of the treatments that I've used in my medical clinic. 80% of long-haul patients... 80% of patients who've had the vaccine experience some kind of long-haul symptoms, such as brain fog, cough, muscle pain, neuropathy in the lower extremities, and excessive fatigue. Let me give you two patient illustrations. One was a 50-year-old legal secretary. She was uh, my girl Friday for a well-known uh, lawyer in Spartanburg County. She came to see me and she was weeping, depressed. She had not worked a day for 10 months. She told me, Dr. Jackson, I don't even take a shower but once a week and my husband makes me do that. I can't cook, I can't clean, I 
can't walk my dog. I haven't been to work in 10 months. She said, I've been to two doctors who both told me I just have to tough it out until I get better. But after she took the vaccine, it didn't help. She then got COVID and all of these symptoms developed within a couple of weeks of developing COVID. And I told her, I said, ma'am, don't believe what you've been told. There is a treatment protocol. I put her on ivermectin, put her on melatonin. I gave her prednisone for 10 days, put her on resveratrol and quercetin. She came back to see me in a month. And she told me that in two weeks, she was back to her normal self, back to work. Her husband was shocked. Her employer was shocked. She said, all the brain fog is gone. And she said, Dr. Jackson, I'm back to my normal self. And she gave me a hug and she danced me in a big circle in the exam room. And she's been fine ever since. I treated her for three months, tapered her off all the medicine, and I haven't seen her since. Second one is a 76-year-old grandmother. She had uh, COVID. She got the vaccine, which did not help. And then she got COVID and she was on oxygen, short of breath coughing all the time, so fatigued that she couldn't drive her car. She hadn't been to church for 10 months, almost a year. Uh, hadn't been to the pharmacy, hadn't been to the drugstore. She'd been going to see a, a pulmonologist in town. We've been giving her a cortisone inhaler plus the oxygen, and she was just not any better. When she came to see me, I said, man, we can get you better. Put her on ivermectin and the rest of the medications and a budesonide nebulizer twice a day. When she saw me two months later, she told me, she said, Doc, within two weeks, I was back to my normal self. I was off oxygen. I was driving my car, going to church. She went back to see the pulmonologist who said to her, why are you taking this ivermectin? And she said, Doc, my family doctor put me on it. And within two weeks, I was back to normal. And he talked to her a little bit more. And he said again, now, why are you taking this ivermectin? She said, Doc, I don't know. You'll have to ask him. But I've been seeing you for 10 months and you hadn't done a darn thing for me. And he put me on this. And in two weeks, I was back to my normal self. So I'm here to tell you that there are treatments for COVID long haul and post-vaccine syndrome. But there are a lot of physicians out there that are not aware of proper or appropriate treatment. And there are patients out there that are getting well. Characteristics of COVID long haul. Prolonged malaise, headaches, generalized fatigue, sleep difficulties, loss of taste and smell. My wife's one of those. Two years later, after having COVID, she still doesn't smell food, still doesn't taste food. Very frustrated by that. Painful joints, short breath, chest pain, brain fog. And listen, I see three to five new patients every day who come to see me with post-vaccine syndrome or COVID long haul. Some of them drive from as far away as Wilmington, North Carolina, six hour drive, because they hear that there's a doctor that is willing and capable to treat them for these kind of symptoms. Okay, so I think that that pulmonologist needs to spend about three weeks in the fucking stockade. What do y'all think? I'm, I'm sick of bad doctors. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that, man. Come on. I'm like, I'm so over it. I'm like, these doctors who went along with the CDC blindly and never questioned a goddamn thing and refused to write scripts for, for drugs that had no danger, really, 
but could have done good. They need to be punished, man. If not, I mean, like licenses should be revoked and some like time in the, I'm not kidding. I want to bring back the stocks, lock them in the stocks, make them, you know, make them hang out and think about what they've done. Criminal Sit negligence. In the corner. I've, I've thought about that as far as like, what is the appropriate punishment? And at some point it might be, you know, what does the community think of them? You know, like let the community decide. <laughs> yeah, well. If you're in the stocks, like they could take advantage of that and do some bad things. Or if they kind of sympathize with you, then you can go through it and get out and it's humiliating or whatever. But yeah. They could bring some vinegar for them to drink. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to know because these people definitely need to be held accountable, but <laughs> it's not really the it, I guess it is the people, but it's not. You know, it's it. They were following orders. We all know that. Some of most of them were living in fear, under threat. I'm not trying to excuse it. Had their um, blinders on. I get yeah. that, but there were brave doctors. Yeah, who right lost thing. their licenses? Yeah. You know, I don't know if a lot of them actually. It was a threat, but I don't know how many actually lost their licenses. I feel like this guy. There yeah, was one gonna... local to me who was prescribing ivermectin and she lost her license. Really? Really? It's Yeah, it's definitely been happening like on a very low le uh, local sort of level that you just never really hear about. But many, many have, oh, they've just left the industry under you know their own pretense. Well, I think, I think this is one of the main issues, like the licensure. If, if it wasn't for the ADA having all this power to, to give out medical licenses, yeah. You no, know, it's 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 a monopoly on on medical thinking. Okay, if yep. you don't go along with the ADA, you are risking your license. Fuck the licenses. You know, I don't give a fuck if you're a licensed doctor. Are you a good doctor? I know exactly. that's not how it works, but that's here, how here. it should work. Yep. Photo. What's the situation over in America, or anyone who knows um, the situation in America as far as natural therapies go? Like, for instance, a naturopath. Do they need? Do they are they required to have a license? And what's the body that um, represents them? I do believe there is a <clears throat> there's a I do believe there's like a board exam where you can um, uh, test for uh, licensure and that sort of thing. A lot of them work independent of physicians, but there are some that actually team up with a physician office so that they can um, oversee uh, direct care of their patients, like if they get admitted to a hospital or something, mm -hmm. or if they need to order something uh, pharmaceutical-wise that um, might require a prescription. So they, okay, I mean, there is a there is a community that does that. Now, it's it's mostly in like bigger towns, um, like where I live, cause I live like an hour from everywhere. So we're pretty much in the sticks. And so we don't have a lot of, um, that, um, whole wellness type thing where we're, we're pretty, um, deprived out here. <laughs> so, yeah. I understand um, that they're sort of pretty much generally seem to suppress all those things, but I was just wondering, is there some kind of, there, know, there's a lot recognized of body? There's a lot of alternative medicine certifications and stuff. Um, my chiropractor is also like he get he gives a lot of health advice like with nutrition and stuff. 
Um, but like, if you want to be a craniosacral therapist or something like that, that's all separate, you know, certifications and stuff where you can't really prescribe like Fido was saying, you know, but, um, you can, you can give recommendations and have products that are, um, not FDA approved and all that, like sort of the unregulated kind of stuff that is a lot of what the naturopath, um, medicine falls into. Yep. Right, so they're not. They don't get. Um, I mean, they outlawed arnica. Um, arnica. They, they, some form of arnica that they outlawed. Um, that was really effective and really good. Um, it was. It was like a topical oil that you would rub on um, bruised um, joints and everything. Um, mm, so there, there is that. some of that, like controlling the chemicals and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So, and the, what about the? I mean, the cannabis oil is becoming fairly. See, we, we're way behind you guys here. It's still very sketchy about being able to get oil. I mean, you've basically kind of got to do it on the black market. Uh, and I'm talking grandmothers doing it. I we know did. a few mules. <laughs> we have a few uh, shops around this area where you can buy like the THC, the Delta Eight, the kratom, and uh, can uh, CBD oil that sort of thing. Um, the, the vape shops, we do have a couple of those around here and they're the ones that usually sell that stuff. And, um, the, I think the, I don't know who it is. They've been cracking down on them about their, um, free samples. Like whenever they, um, they let customers, um, taste, test some of their uh, juices, they have to give the ones that have no nicotine in them. Um, they're not allowed to let them taste the ones that have nicotine. So, uh, it's, it's weird. Uh, they have a lot of, uh, regulations that are coming down on vapes, uh, here lately, but they do, some of the shops are there. That's why they're branching out into like the CBD oil and the THC, uh, the, the Delta eight and the, uh, Kratom and things of the natural stuff, mm. because, um, it's getting harder to make, turn a profit on, on vape stuff, like just being a sole vape purveyor. So, um, we yeah, have it available, but people aren't really encouraged to do their own research. And so they kind of just rely on the people at the vape shops to give them their information. And I really wish there was, that's actually kind of one of the things that I wanted to do was like open a, a naturopath clinic, um, or even not even so much a clinic, but like a place where people can, can like a source that people can use to educate themselves about natural remedies and things that they don't have to actually go for pharmaceuticals with. Um, there's a compound that it's called DMSO. It's uh, I forget it's, it's a compounded cream that you can get for um, give for like muscle aches and pains and it's it's using some uh, uh, medications like uh, gaba, gabapentin, which is a, a nerve blocker or a nerve medication, and diclofenac, which is a, a medication that is um, given usually for muscle spasms. But it's very when it's when it's applied to the skin in combination with the with the with the other two um, medications in there, it's a very it's a very effective joint pain relief cream and it works really well but the insurance companies don't want to pay for it and it can be a little bit expensive but it works very well and it actually gets people off of pain medication 
uh, off the nor the Norco and the the um, the Tramadol and, and stuff like that. So you know, it's 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 a constant fight trying to find stuff that actually works for people that isn't pharmaceutical derived. Yeah, but uh, I've got. I was just Go going to say I've got a friend I was talking to last night. I was at a party and uh, older gentleman, very much um, skeptical of all the right things. And him and I were talking at the at the bonfire and he was telling me how he was on uh, oxy or some some opiate uh, for his knee replacement surgery and how they stopped giving it to him because he tested positive for cannabis. Because apparently there's a rule where if you test positive for any controlled substances, they will take away your script. And he said to the doctor, he's like, look, I only take half of what you give me in terms of the opiates. And it's because of the cannabis supplementing my pain relief. I mean, so I was going to say, it's like of all the shit we've talked about tonight, I am convinced at this point that this part of our conversation talking about naturopathy and alternative, you know, modes of medicine, this is what might put us on the chopping block for this episode when it comes to YouTube censorship. We were, we were talking about the list, apparently, of the things that they are now censoring, and half of it is like naturopathic remedies. You know, they don't want you talking about the benefits of simple stuff, man. Simple mm -hmm. stuff. Well, as soon as you get this code, as soon as you get this video uploaded, let me know and I'll download a copy. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a I'll have a, a hard copy through StreamYard, um, and it will be. Yeah, I guess it'll. Uh, I need to get us on Rumble and Odyssey. I keep saying yeah. it. I just I have an Odyssey yet. channel. I just I don't. I if I have a hard copy, if I have actually I have a a copy of it. On my computer, I can upload it to Odyssey. Cool. Yeah. They won't ban yeah, us. Yeah, I've got an Odyssey and a Rumble. We can do that. I haven't really used my Odyssey. I just, I have, yeah. I've got so much going on. I haven't, I've kind of neglected it for the last several months, but I can get it back up and running again and put it on here. Just uh, make it available somewhere, Mike, and we'll Oh, yeah. 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 Can do. Um, I want to, I want to see if Ando's got anything for us. You've been awfully quiet down there, Ando. How you doing, man? <laughs> Yeah, just chilling down here. Um, I am letting all the uh, experts do their their work there. Um, everybody seems pretty well versed in this. Uh, the scheme, though, I mean, they the, all the the vaxes have these protections, right? And um, and then the pharmaceutical companies are the ones that license them, but then they also sell them the cure. So, and it's often not a cure. So <laughs> it's just keep people sick forever. And then you've got the government involved in this. And uh, you mentioned earlier eugenicist and any kind of government health care is eugenicism. You, you know, it, it goes all the way back to, I mean, like Medicare, Medicaid. I think that shit's eugenics. I mean, you, you should not be telling the government what your ailments are because that really puts you in a position where they can kill you for fun and profit. I've got some neighbors who are elderly and the, they were telling me about the ringer that they go through, like going to doctor's appointments and everything. I see the ambulance over there sometimes, like she's on dialysis. They're not in a good way. Um, but it's like, like 
describing all the appointments they have and everything, it's like a full-time job. And it's like, man, I think they might have a little bit of money left or whatever. And it seems like they're just getting put through the ringer, just sucked for all of it, you know? And I've seen that happen with yeah. grandparents and stuff at care homes too. It's astounding oh. when I see some some of those, like the amount of medications that some people are on. You know, they pull out their their tray of pills. And it's like, oh, no, this is just for today. It's not all week. <laughs> it's like, well, you for Hello, like we need to talk about something here. Yeah, back to Ando's point about the uh, testing positive for um, uh, cannabis. Um, we had a nursing home patient who was on uh, hydrocodone, I think, and he he had a they did a, a random drug screen on him and it tested positive for meth. And usually, when in our in our clinic when somebody tests positive for meth in their drug screen that's an automatic dismissal um they are dismissed from the practice they're not 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 like we're just not going to give you the medicine anymore you're just it's an automatic dismissal um the thing is he was a nursing home patient and he had come out of the hospital because he had uh he'd been in a car accident or something and but he had he was taking um hydrocodone prior to that accident for I think for a knee pain or something, he was going to pain management for it. And um, when I saw the result for the drug screen that showed methamphetamine, I asked the, uh, f- the provider about it. And she's like, yeah, we, we looked into that already. Cause you know, that was a, a huge red flag for us too. And she said he was taking a medication. I forget what it was called. And I, I'm going to have to go pick her brain and I can, I can let y'all know later what it was, but she said that, it was a medication he was taking that it showed up as methamphetamine on his drug screen. He was not actually taking methamphetamine. Does Adderall pop positive for that? Adderall is methamphetamine. Basically it's pharmaceutical grade, but no, he wasn't taking Adderall. It was, it was some other medication that she would not think would do that. I know that uh, I think NyQuil can show up as meth on a drug screen. It's like a, it's a derivative. It's a metabolite of the ingredients in NyQuil uh, that can give you a false positive on methamphetamine. But I don't remember what it was. Um, but that is something that I think a lot of people don't understand, don't know, is that there are certain things that you can take that will show up. It'll pop a false positive uh, for serious stuff. Um, poppy seeds, for sure. Like if you eat like yeah, a lemon yeah. poppy seed cake, it'll show up as something really bad on a drug screen yeah my son got got done for that when he just started he was very green around the ears and he got done for that when he just started in the mining industry and uh he'd had a bun for lunch or something the day before uh, that day poppy seeds yep and uh it showed up and (laughs) the rest of the blokes were just laughing because they knew exactly what had happened yeah (laughs) i just took a pee test and uh on the form it says that if you've eaten poppy seeds today uh please inform us yeah. Yes, I've been eating poppy seeds. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Terrorist. <laughs> with with my heroin for breakfast. <laughs> All right. Here's here's the next guy. This guy I like a lot. He is a pastor and he has a master's degree in public health. And I think he has one other well, he's yeah, he's he's got another qualification. I can't remember what, but uh he kind of gets into the more spiritual side of things here which I appreciate a word about dogmatism and division. When an oversimplified answer is promoted as if it is absolutely true, 
when the presence of complexity and uncertainty is minimized, and when public policies are promulgated with this context of, within this context of false certainty, then dogmatism has defeated rational thought. When this occurs, especially, especially if public health and media messaging involves mocking and marginalizing and threatening dissenting voices, then the public health leaders behind this are guilty of manipulating and dividing individuals from one another. They're practicing propaganda, not science, as you've heard. And in my bibliography, you'll see a book about propaganda. And if you look at that, you will see that the things that have been occurring are according to these doctrines of propaganda that were set down a long time ago. They know what they're doing. I think you can see where I'm coming from. I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it was just incompetence. Surely even an untrained mind can quickly imagine all the public health indices that will worsen because of population polarization and discord. We saw that, didn't we? If violent crime, suicide, divorce, abuse, mental illness, and other conflict-associated public health problems worsen, then the public health leader behind these oversimplified, dogmatic, divisive policies has broken the physician's first maxim, and that is to first do no harm. We must stand against unnecessary polarization. We've got to work together. Don't take the bait, right? Don't be provoked. We're all in this together. We must stand against unnecessary polarization while insisting upon discovering the reality of this situation. And much of the messaging was intentionally polarizing. Separate people. Keep them from coming together. Keep them from awakening together to the reality of what they're going through. So to love our neighbors as ourselves, we cannot allow this to be about politics or anything else other than just looking after one another. Public unity as fellow human beings is critical to our future success. And I believe that you as elected officials have a voice towards that. Avoiding divisive decisions and messaging should always be a top priority. Seeking informed consent and full disclosure of conflicts of interests must remain intact while displaying courtesy and respect to one another. What about the comprehensive nature of these considerations if they're going to be good? When a public health intervention is implemented, there are a wide array of potential unintended consequences, known and some unknown. For example, it's been observed that increases in unemployment correlate with increases in death rates. Were all the potential concurrent and future public health consequences of aggressive non-pharmaceutical interventions, such as lockdown and school closures, fully considered? Or did a myopic focus only upon reducing case counts cloud their judgment? That's what I observed. It looked to me like clouded, myopic decision-making. Let's talk about the types of evidence that are out there and being... All right, I'm pausing there and I'm going to jump ahead, but excuse me, feel free. <laughs> I'm on my sixth beer here, y'all. We're going late tonight. Holy hell. Um, any thoughts at this point? I'm going to hop ahead towards the end, but feel free to speak up. Uh, something you said reminded me of, um, I saw an old video, I was just looking for it, I couldn't find it, but Joe Biden, back when he was young and with it a little bit, talking about separating people based on their behavior, and he did it with like the the scheming hands, and he was very, he was very uh, gleeful about this proposal about the future, how they would separate people based on their behavior. And I think it's pretty interesting how that's come to fruition. Speaking of meth, I've seen some young Joe Biden videos where he acts like he is totally methed out, you know? He said the one thing that really gets on my nerves, and especially here lately. Um, he said the, the physician's first maxim is first do no harm. And 
I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. That has not been part of the Hippocratic Oath for quite some time. And if you believe that it is, you need to go look up and see what it is that these physicians are vowing to do when they take their when they graduate from their medical school and they're they're giving their Hippocratic Oath. You need to go read up on the different ones from the different schools because they all have different ones. Have you ever watched Star Trek Voyager? Uh, Parts of it. I don't think I ever watched it. Okay. Well, that's in the future and they adhere to the Hippocratic Oath in the future. So there's still a Hippocratic Oath. It hasn't gone away because it's it's got to show up in Star Wars later. I'm not saying saying there isn't (laughs) one. What I'm saying is the context of that oath is vastly different than what people actually think it is. And well, we've, we've it does that not appear. Phone. It does yeah. not appear on many, many of the Hippocratic oaths that are being uttered at graduation. It's uh, mostly up, it's mostly diversity, equity and inclusion type of is. shit now. Uh, yeah. Social justice and, and stuff like that. They're not they're they're talking about promoting propaganda instead of treating the whole patient and being on a, on on a, like having a rapport with the patient and helping them with their decisions. It's it's not really about that. It's about all this wokeism stuff. So I highly encourage people to go look up the Hippocratic oath for uh, the Harvard medical school. And that'll give you an idea of what they're doing around the country. Uh, Stella just uh, put the clip or put the link in. Do you want me to read the the, re- the revised version real quick, Stella? Uh, it's pretty long. I mean, you can if you want. I was just going to say. Read, um, I'll read the I'll first s- paragraph, but go ahead. Go ahead. Just, I just wanted to point out, uh, it says here, the oath was rewritten in 1964. So it's quite a while ago. Yeah. Been a while. As Fido yeah. was, I'm just supporting Fido. So this yep. says, just the first paragraph, I swear. Okay. Well, maybe the original one. Well, screw it. I'm not going to read the original, but it does say first do no harm in there. This this new one, it says, I swear to fulfill to the best of my ability and judgment this covenant. I will respect the hard won scientific gains of those physicians who in whose steps I walk and gladly share such knowledge as is mine with those who are to follow. I will apply for the benefit of the sick all measures that are required, avoiding those twin traps of overtreatment and therapeutic nihilism. I will remember that there is an art to medicine as well as science and that warmth, sympathy and understanding may outweigh the surgeon's knife or the chemist's drug. I mean, that's this is this is not as bad as some versions that I've seen, but it's still it's it's all this flowery bullshit language that says a whole lot of nothing. And, uh, you know, like it, it used to be pretty clear what a doctor's job was. Now you gotta, you gotta be like some kind of, uh, I don't know, fucking woke social justice warrior type and, and, you have the to, science. and you have to respect the science that's in the first fucking sentence. Even if the science is fucked. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to play this. Yeah. That's sec- more like an order really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to play the second section from his his talk here. World-renowned scientists and scholars such as Peter McCullough, Robert Malone, Harvey Risch, you can see their names there. The list goes on and on. Contrary to what has been claimed, the decisions by our public health leaders have not been based upon science or uncontested consensus. So what's really going on? There can't be consensus if there hasn't been a conversation. 
They block prescriptions in outpatient and outpatient settings. You know this. You saw this. I heard Dr. Jackson's testimony last year. I experienced the same thing with the pharmacies. Thank God for independent pharmacists who have the backbone to do what is right. We'd be in a lot of trouble. There'd be a lot more dead people, I believe, if it weren't for those independent pharmacists. After they attack the ideas, first they block, first they block, excuse me, first they ignore, then they block, then they attack, then they replace with something else. And then if that doesn't work, they go on to attack the person and they bring threats and attacks against the person. Now, to my knowledge, no physicians or pharmacists in South Carolina have been threatened or had their licenses revoked. But, but, pharma, but there have been individuals who had their licenses attacked over this. Dr. Mc, Peter McCullough, the American Board of Internal Medicine, shame on them. They removed his certifications for internal medicine and cardiology, one of the most decorated sciences, scientists in the world before this happened. Uh, just a section there about the attack on the influential dissenters. Just another example of the propaganda. The Fifth Circuit judges on the censorship suit against two of the authors of the Great Barrington um, Declaration. So the conspiracy, I mean, excuse me, uh, censorship did happen. And it turns out, I guess it was a conspiracy because it was between the FBI and the White House uh, working together with the social media companies. And then came the vaccines. All right. We're going to pause to say adios to Keel Thor. Thanks for coming on, man. It was good to see you. I know like... Uh, this has been a lot of clips and not a lot of fucking talking between us, but it was good to see you again, man. Yeah. Good. Great. Hanging out with you guys. It's uh, good to be back on the uh, WTF. Good yep. to see you, Kills. Thanks for being unknown with me. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'll see Sleep you guys. Well, brother. See you guys nice next meeting time. you, Kill Thor. Yeah. All right. I will play on. And I'm going to beg for a little bit more time because this is really important. Fauci said that's the worst possible thing you could do is vaccinate somebody to prevent infection and actually make them worse. They knew about any antibody dependent enhancement beforehand. We've all known about it. Anyone in this field, that's uh, we know about it. And it was seen in the dengue virus when they tried to vaccinate the dengue virus folks and children who'd never had it before. They died at a higher rate. And these antibodies are, they do bind to the infection when you get it, but they make the infection worse. So anyone watching the VAERS data knew that a very serious safety signal was emerging by mid-2021. Dr. Clark, real quick. Um, I have to emphasize this. The initial study was stopped at six months and unblinded, and the control group was vaccinated. So we'll never be able to know from that original study about so many different things uh, regarding the vaccines. There again, you've seen that same graph. Let me just scan through here a couple quick points. I just, Dr. Clark, I just had one question. Sure. I have Dr. De DeVore coming after you. Dr. DeVore, how long is your presentation? Oh, okay. Because we got to get DHEC in here at 4.30. So we, yeah, if you could wrap it up, maybe five more minutes would be okay. Thank you. <clears throat> The FDA has used misleading statistical statements to try to distract people from what's going on with VAERS, right? And they don't allow autopsies to take place. Uh, they, they discouraged autopsies uh, for vaccine adverse events. So the question is, what about the autopsies? The CD CDC refused to recommend autopsies on deaths that were reported to VAERS, and that omission allowed the agency to repeatedly make the audacious fraudulent declaration that all the 16,000 reported deaths following vaccination by October 2021 
were unrelated to the vaccines, even though they had done no causal analysis studies. The regulatory agencies thereby abolished vaccine deaths and injuries by fiat. And this is a true statement. We do have, let me just suffice it to say, we have autopsy data that is very convincing that, this, that these vaccines are causing these deaths. And it's not just a statistical anomaly. And interestingly, one study that included Dr. Peter McCullough as an author showed that a total of 240 deaths were independently adjudicated as directly due to or significantly contributed to by the COVID-19 infection. That's Okay, we got another we got another forum mate bowing out, which I can't blame you. It's getting late, but Bear Snare, any any thoughts before you go, man? I know you had a you had a story that you wanted to bring to the table. I apologize. Oh, with how, I, I'm how in we- for now. I'm I don't have to leave right away. Um, I am. I I'm glad you paused right here though, mm. because um, this is a good time to mention the the in the life insurance claims. Um. Last year, there was like a 40% increase in life insurance claims, and that didn't happen in 2020. It started to happen in 21. Some of the best information we've been getting actually has been from the insurance industry. Um, I listened to an interview with, I want to say the CEO of One America or like a very high up executive and he was talking about the numbers coming in as far as all-cause mortality and how insane it is, especially in the younger age brackets. And, I mean, that's everything. That's that's adverse events. That's suicide. That's overdose. But it's you cannot ignore the data coming out of the insurance industry. People that's are correct. dying way more than they were before the pandemic or even during the pandemic. That's the crazy part. Post-pandemic is worse than during. Yeah, well, That's I mean, long the reason COVID, that, right? Something, yeah. man. The reason that it's such reliable data is because it's the well, it's following the money. Yep. So, of yep. course, we're going to get exactly the way it is. I used to kind of have a a bit of a, I don't know, animosity towards insurance because I mean, it's like everything else. It's rightly kinda, so. It's it's a part of the big scam, but I've in some ways come around to the fact that they are their incentives are pure. I mean, in, in a nutshell, they are, well, okay. You, you can chuckle at that. <laughs> yeah. Pure Sorry. is a strong word, but they're in bed with the bankers. Yeah. But they're at least, I mean, the market forces are what they respond to, you know, it's not like that, when it's, it's required to have it. Like, I guess you're right about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I could least, not least... do my insurance through my company or whatever, but like, it's worth the the small amount that I pay in case something catastrophic happens. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah it's a financial circle jerk for sure. It seems like better data than what we've gotten from the medical yeah. industry, though. You know. And just just quickly on the subject of insurance, I mean, we'll look at Maui. What the insurance companies are—they're just raping the people at the moment. And um, the like the places that were burning here in Australia, a lot of people can't get insurance on these particular areas anymore. So they're not there because they love us. You're muted. I was going to say, I'm just going to. Yep, my bad. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to the. You know, closer to the end, I he he kind of gets into the God thing here a bit, and I I just want to hear what he says there. And my last clip from this committee is the response 
from the entrenched bureaucrat working for the South Carolina state kind of health agency. And the juxtaposition is just so apparent. If you compare the bureaucrat to all of these, you know, doctors and the lawyer and all these people, um, you'll, you'll see what I mean here in a second. Perhaps a, a committee you could form to look into it. There's other things there for you. So thank you and for letting me get through that. So much. Do I have any questions from the committee? Well, Mr. Chairman, I just want to uh, thank Dr. Clark for preparing such a meticulous document. Uh, credible preparation there. I'll just say personally, he was the first person I called about the COVID pandemic because I knew he would have to deal with it both as an allergist as, and as a pastor. And in my first conversation, I discovered something I didn't know, which is that he has a master's in public health, which I found reassuring. And one thing you might have missed was he gave recommendations to Edgefield in the first month of the pandemic about what should be done that have stood the test of time. And I, and I recall the conversation we had that very same day when I called him, emphasizing protecting the elderly without disrupting the, the, the lives of uh, those who are not, you know, at great risk. And I would just have to say what we did in public education in this state, uh, we knew within just a short period of time that COVID was not uh, a great threat to young people. And what we did in destroying a year of education for a lot of our students, um, I just don't have words for it. You know, us keeping kids out of school. Uh, and I think the testing is going to show that over time. But thank you, Dr. Clark. Okay. That's my bad guys. I probably skipped over like some of his best words. Cause I didn't have a good timestamp for it. Um, also I'm getting a little tired. So my, my focus is going, but, um, he basically, I'll paraphrase, he says, uh, you know, a sentiment that I think all of us kind of would agree with. The level of evil that we are witnessing with all of this is undeniable. And he basically, he just lays it out by saying, you know, we are not going to win if we don't lean on God. And I'm, I'm beginning to believe that wholeheartedly. We need some fucking help here, you know? So I just wanted to say that... Um, the last guy I've got, like I said, is this, it's called um, DHEC, D-H-E-C is the state agency. And this guy, I mean, God, like you couldn't ask for a better example of, of what these motherfuckers are like. I mean, look at this asshole. Look at this haircut. Look at this fucking mask. Says it Where's he pick this guy up from? Good God. Oh my. This is the he's in charge of DHEC, which is like their HHS for the state of uh, South Carolina. Truly really knew what we were going to be dealing with as it relates to COVID. And so when the initial recommendations were that we need to take two weeks and flatten the curve. And a lot of the American people are really selfless people. And when they're called upon to do something, they'll step up to the plate. They'll rise to the occasion. And so when we were all told two weeks, stay at home, flatten the curve. Let's get this under control. We went along with it because we believe in doing something for the greater good. But 
two weeks to flatten the curve turned into two months stay at home turned into two shots to go to work and a lot of um a lot of people have tried to kind of brush it under the rug of what went on during 2020 primarily and then kind of into 2021 but i still remember i remember restaurants being closed and boat ramps being closed and my wife going to her prenatal OB appointments and I had to go sit in the car while she had her ultrasound and things like that. And it was in my mind, the greatest violation of constitutional rights in the history of our country. And so as we talk, we, we've focused a lot on kind of the public health side today and you being in uh, public health and at DHEC, how do you think we should square the public health response with what the Constitution says and the liberties of the people of South Carolina. So I think that's a very important balance, and I think you bring a very good issue, right? Obviously, there are limits to what we are allowed to do. We do give up a certain amount of freedom to avoid hurting others. That's why we don't allow people to drive drunk, for example. So okay, this lispy-ass motherfucker, right? He's got to hear that mask. Yeah, and well, you can't hear you can't hear him that good because he's got this fucking N95 mask on, and just I just want to hit this guy. I'm not gonna lie, I want to just pop him. <laughs> but he brings he up this, <laughs> he brings up this analogy, right? And this is something again. I'm just I'm at the point I don't give a fuck. One of the things that upset me the most in the heat of battle, if you will, during like the early days of vaccine rollout, was my fucking sister posting a meme. That basically said, if you don't get a vaccine, you're no better than a drunk driver. And he's making the same fucking correlate or the same analogy, metaphor, whatever you want to call it. He's saying, you know, well, there's limits to constitutional rights um, for everybody's safety. Like we don't let people drive drunk. And I, I fucking hate that shit, man. First of all, I'm a great drunk driver. <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah but uh no i mean it's just like it's not it's not the same thing motherfucker i mean yeah locking people in their houses for everybody's safety is not the same as having like reasonable regulations about intoxication and you know machinery operation right he's just not, yeah he's just reminding us that they are there to look after us oh yeah you it's for it? your you got it's, it it's for your safety yeah I'm going to play a little bit more. There have to be some reasonable limits. Um, you know, I think if we knew back in March of 2020 what we do now, we would have done things differently. Absolutely. I think we can apply some of that knowledge should, again, heaven forbid this happen again. Um, you know, I think uh, certainly for those who are at the highest risk, the elderly, those who are immunocompromised, you know, I think uh, voluntary restrictions on their emotions by themselves uh, to protect themselves is probably very reasonable. And I think that's, I would recommend if I had a patient in that situation that they do that. Um, you know, I think I would be much less likely to recommend mandatory um, shutdowns. Uh, I think we need to do, as I said, much more communication and say, look, if you choose to go out, this is the risk you're taking. I don't. All right. I, you know, it, this is very typical in my opinion, where now that the the smoke is cleared they're so willing to say, well, you know, yeah, things we could have maybe done things a little better. We should really, you know, rely on voluntary things and blah, blah, blah. You weren't saying that two years ago. Admit yeah. it. He's talking about it like it's in the past and yet he's wearing a mask like it's going on right now. 
Yeah, and of course, his his excuse, oh, my wife's immunocompromised, so I have to be extra careful. I want to slap this motherfucker around so bad. Yeah. I'm standing right behind you there. <laughs> he says knowing what we know now, mm-hmm. and yet it's uh, like, what do we know now about those masks, man? And yeah, we knew they quite even, a exactly. bit back in 2021 when he's saying that we we should have known if we could have known more. We actually knew quite a bit back in 2021. I don't think he yeah. remembers that. Yep, yep. And I, uh, I was certainly of, would never that was never admit it. Put it that way, never. Right. And yeah. I just wanted to uh, give a little context. I had mentioned in the chat that um, I was given travel papers um, back when the uh, two weeks to uh flatten the curve came up and everybody had to we it was only essential workers that they were recommending be out and about because because i'm a nurse i was considered an essential worker and so my boss gave me a letter that they had typed up and had he signed and uh he gave one to each of us at the clinic so that we could keep it in our car so that if we got stopped or pulled over and asked what we were doing out and about we had a piece of paper uh, to show that wow. you know, we never had to use it. But right, um, I, I have one too. Had heard there was um, at one point. I think there was a checkpoint that was set up on the border between uh, Texas and Louisiana. Um, people leaving, uh, coming and going from uh, Louisiana. I think they it was something Louisiana was doing. Um, they did have a checkpoint, I think, but it was. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't go out that way to look into it, um, but there was one that I heard about. I didn't actually see it, but nobody ever asked me for my papers to travel. And I don't even remember what I did with the letter, but it was very surreal getting this letter from my boss, giving me permission to drive to and from work. It was probably the weirdest thing that happened to me the entire time. Um, we had we had checkpoints here in Australia um, yeah. and border crossing. You know, it it got pretty violent with some incidences. Incidents. Um, mm-hmm. There was also you know like a blocked uh, border between New South Wales and Queensland at one point, which was a real disaster for the people that live in Queensland, but they work in the very top of New South Wales and the other way around as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, people were at the actual border. I can't remember what they're called, but those great big barriers are usually orange and white. Um, there's no way you could drive through them or anything. And, and, and they're all just sitting there, you know, picnicking on the, <laughs> on the border, you know, like touching each other. And it's like, <laughs> you remember that video of the mega based Irishman who gets stopped at the checkpoint and they're like, where are you going? He says, none of your business. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, Trust the Irish. he's like, I'm getting supplies for my farm. I need to go to the hardware store, but fuck you. <laughs> so as as a trucker i had one of those forms as well it feels pretty good to be essential but um it it wasn't for this time it was i think it was for it was to kind of plant that seed in people's heads about about that kind of thing because next time it'll probably be more draconian yep and we uh, know it will be can i ask you phyto and ando who i believe are the only essential workers here did you feel good when everyone Ouch. was giving you a round of applause? I wanted to throw <laughs> up, actually. I was. I, I never actually, got one. I'm I glad you said the, that, Stella, because Photo's a hero. Very heroic frontline seeing, worker. 
I remember seeing the the news reports of the nurses getting uh, standing ovations and the neighbors were clapping for the one nurse that she was going to work. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Whole suburbs. I almost threw something at the TV and broke it. I was like, <laughs> give me a break. This is this is the stupidest thing I have ever yeah. seen in my life. I was like, I don't need I don't need your your empty platitudes. That's not what's going to make me feel Virtual. like I'm doing a good job. Yeah, yeah I remember remember the uh, the pictures of the royal family. You know, Prince William and his and his family all standing outside, clapping the essential workers. Ah, oh, it's just it's insane. It's just, then, it's a comedy to look back. And on. then a year later, those heroes they're ready to fire them, toss them out oh, with yeah. the trash if they wouldn't oh, yeah. take the yeah, shot. Yeah, exactly. It's that yeah, whole exactly. give us give us our heroes and take them away, and you know, or give us our villains. And you know, they they made they tried to make it sound like these nurses were just so selfish and so you know just they they, they don't deserve to be among polite society and then it wasn't what it was about a year or two ago they 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 did that statue um it was was it in norway or sweden i can't remember where it looked they did plastic a, it was yeah and it looked like like something a a, a child would have done a statue um, of it, what it was a, a statue of a doctor. Nurse. Yeah, it was a masked yeah. nurse. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. And it was to honor all of the nurses that um, that worked so hard during the, the the pandemic to to make everybody safe and feel good and blah 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 and just more empty platitudes. I'm sure it I is. Like, I like that image of a cheap plastic statue. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> it's like, it's like that's that's so perfect. It's like it's all so fake. We and couldn't. Gay. We couldn't <laughs> afford to to pour millions of dollars into a really nice, uh, uh, honor honor giving statue. We're just gonna just you know, it's we'll, we'll make it look like paper mache. That's fine. Yeah. That's that good. Money that, to plenty, that, that money went to that Ukraine. That money money laundering and uh, monuments. <laughs> Full circle, as always. Yeah. Uh, Still a better statue than the first, than the than the AIDS honoring statue. <laughs> so in, in Canada, <laughs> Canada and Australia, they they definitely turned on the uh, central workers as far as truck drivers go. And then um, here, the the company I worked for, um, it seemed like between the people that were running the company that there was a lot of debate whenever uh biden tried to to throw the osha mandate out um as soon as i saw that osha mandate i was pretty concerned because that's that's something that you know a lot of these companies none of these companies can afford to pay the fine for workers so they would they would kind of have to do it but the thing is osha only has uh i i think it was something like 1100 employees throughout all of osha so they couldn't have pulled it off anyway so um, look into those things. Yeah. yeah, look into those things whenever things like that come down the table because you're, you'll see that, you know, oh, hey, here's this department and they're supposed to enforce this thing on the entire country. Um, it, it'll never work. And it'll never work if none of the companies comply. If no one says, uh, no one complies and then no one pays the fine, then it won't work either. So um, yeah, when I saw the ETS, I was a little bit worried too. I was like, "Oh yeah, there's they're serious about this. They're gonna push it as far as they can," and they did. They sure as shit did, man. Holy shit! And you know, the, we're so close to wrapping up with with the clips I've got here, um, and I'm like, my eyes are getting super heavy. But uh, you know, it's like it's the most to me the most insulting thing of all is people pretending it never 
fucking happened. Mm. Yeah. That's what or pisses me pre- off. Or pretending that it wasn't as bad as we're all making it out to be. Right. Right. Yep. No, you don't remember being told you were, you know, that's why when, uh, or like it's still, all over now, like it's all over and it's all cool. No, it's not over. It's not cool. Yeah. But let's like just when get Stella, on with life. Mm-hmm. When Stella said, uh, you know, Fido and Ando were the only essential workers. I don't know if it came <laughs> through, but I go, ouch. I go, I'm ouch. sorry. I meant no. under the, not under my, opinion, not on your yeah, right. opinion. You know? But I, that, that's Dang. my point is like, I was pissed off, man. Like you don't think I'm essential, but, Fuck you. I'm helping my clients grow their own healthy food. <laughs> I am essential asshole. Fuck you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. They really, I, I often think about the, 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 la- the language that gets used is like, that's sort of, um, it is intimidating. You're not an essential worker, but you are, we will choose that, you know, Stay and giving and people, up. giving people the shot, you know, it's a yeah. shot. Do all what we say, and the, and the thermometer thing shaped as a gun, all these intimidating things that they all came up with, you know, it's just like as a collective thing, it's just it was so us and them. It, it's yeah. just no denying it. All right. I'm going to play just the last like couple minutes of this one with the regulator guy. Um, you know, most of what he says is such tiptoey, non-committal bullshit. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, if we had known then what we know now, blah, blah, blah. But um, the end here I found to be pretty, I don't know. I don't even remember at this point, but let's see what it says. I, I don't believe that's true, but I'll have to check to be sure. Okay. Because I heard, and that's what I was asking, because I don't know this, but I was asking maybe somebody in your staff could tell me, but I heard that um, that if um, if we happen to find out that ivermectin was beneficial against COVID or hydrochloricone was uh, uh, beneficial against COVID or, or table salt, that if we were to find that out, it would have prevented the vaccine from getting the EUA authorization to be rolled out so quickly and all the billions of dollars to be made. Is Can anybody answer that? Is that true? I don't believe that's true, but we will double check. Okay. This, that's absolutely true. I've got true. folks back here saying it's true. And i uh, got some doctors here and some doctors there. I think that's part of the problem. <laughs> I think that's a good point. Yes, sir. Yeah, um, but um, I think the reason for that is that a medication to treat versus a vaccine to prevent is two different things. Right. I don't think that would be the same thing. Right. But, that's why I'm saying that. Right. But we'll, and we'll, reason, we'll ask. Right. We'll ask. And the, the reason I was kind of going down that road is, is somebody as learned as yes. yourself yes. or any reasonable person, wouldn't you think that the studies, and you referenced several studies on ivermectin, hydrochloroquine, they were inconclusive, didn't show anything. Don't you think that they might be presented that way in order to get a new drug that is much more profitable out among the populace, like, say, the vaccine? If those studies were done by the pharmaceutical company, I would be very worried about bias. Yes, but they weren't. Uh, Right. So those, you know, Moderna and Pfizer were not doing the ivermectin studies. Those are being done independently. Uh, and I can assure you, I mean, one of the things that I did as part of my master's of public health is I spent a lot of time learning how to take a study apart and decide if it's reliable or not. Right. Well, who funded the studies? I mean, did you look at that? Were they may, they may have been done by the pharmaceutical right. companies, but were they funded in any way by the pharmaceutical companies? No. The, the studies I've seen were not funded by pharmaceutical companies. They had a variety of different okay. funding sources, some private, some public. Right. Because I looked at some studies of ivermectin yeah. that were different conclusion than what you had that, that showed some decent uh, effectiveness. Um, and I think there's all these different studies and, and you're balancing plates and you, we're just trying to get to the truth. At the end of the day, everybody up here, and I'm sure everybody in this room, yeah. 
I love South Carolina and the people in it. And we just want to do what's best for them. And we just want to get to the truth and, um, and, and the best way we can to help our constituents. That, that's all. Um, so I had a series of questions. Some of them really probably already been uh, answered, but I want to just run through them real quick. And sure. for the sake of time, you can, you can answer yes or no. And then if you don't mind, I'd like to talk to Dr. Bell for just a second. If she would uh, come up in a minute and let me talk to her for just a second. Um, did they heck do any research during COVID regarding the efficacy of various types of masking by uh, N95 versus uh, cloth versus surf? Did y'all do any of your own research? No, we did not actually put okay. masks on people and see what happened. We, we relied on research done by others. Okay. Um, did DHEC do any research in regards to the vaccine efficacy or vaccine injury or anything like that? No. Again, okay. we, we, we rely on research done by others. We do not do much independent clinical research at DHEC. Okay. Uh, probably the same answer here, but did DHEC do any research into ivermectin or hydrochloroquine or any other related drugs um, uh, as to their effectiveness against COVID? We did not do independent clinical research, no. Okay. Did DHEC forbid, discourage, or dissuade any doctors from using any type of drugs to treat their patients? No. Okay. No, we, we, it is not our role to tell doctors how to treat our patients. We certainly provide them information. Okay. But we do not have any control, again, other than controlled substances, and that's never been an issue here. Okay. That's probably enough of that dweeby motherfucker, you know, but he's, Thank you. The, point, the point I'm getting at with this the whole thing of we didn't do any of our own research. We relied on the research done by the CDC, the WHO, the fill in the blank. And the, the, the implication that we did not mandate or demand or order doctors to do anything this way or that. All we did was provide, quote unquote, recommendations. I have heard this fucking line so many goddamn times. You know, I'm getting tired and I'm getting fucking agitated with this shit, guys. I am sick of people passing the buck and saying we just followed the CDC. Don't hold it. I don't shoot the messenger. No. Guess what? Three weeks in the stocks. Fuck you. <laughs> Notice how health officials are never healthy looking. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Fuck. Do you remember those women? Well, the one of them was not <laughs> Rachel thing. Yeah, Rachel. Oh, Levine. Hey. Levine. Levine. <laughs> Rear Admiral Richard, Richard Levine. Richard. Yeah. And there was a, there was another couple. One of them was really really overweight, and the other uh, one looked oh, like yeah. it was a walking corpse. Yeah, that was uh, uh, Los Angeles was the walking corpse, and I believe the the uh, <laughs> dumpy egg lady was. Uh, I think it was another country. I'm pretty sure she was like Switzerland or. Uh, Sweden no, I think it was or... America. No, was she okay? okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. know, but I reckon they do that on purpose too. It's just another slap in the face, you know. Oh yeah, here, here we are coming full circle again. Walking corpse. We started with fucking Diane Feinstein. Good <laughs> fucking riddance. <laughs> Ding dong, yeah. the motherfucking nice. witch is dead, man. <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> Enjoy company with John McCain. <laughs> you know. Oh, did you see the meme? Don't worry, Diane. Yeah. It's a dry heat. <laughs> it's a dry heat. I did see that. <laughs> Good one. Did you see the Grim Reaper trying to get the uh, the the bodies out of the? I don't um, think Henry machine, you know, Kissinger. Kissinger, gotta get going for Kissinger. It's like, oh, we've got Diane Feinstein. <laughs> I really don't think he's. I don't think Kissinger is in that thing. I don't know All about right, Kissinger. So, he's another so, entity himself. 
as as usual, I always try to wrap up on like something kind of funny, and this totally is related. Okay, this <laughs> this made me laugh my ass off. I'm just gonna roll it. Oh, you are getting a real surprise. A bill for almost $200. A few of you have reached out to us about this. It even happened to the mother of one of our producers. That's right. Uh, when the government ended the national COVID emergency in May, it stopped covering the cost of the vaccines. And now it's up to insurance companies, and that's what's causing the confusion. WBZ's Christina Rex explains. Uh, nightmare is the first word that comes to mind. The process of trying to get one of the new COVID shots, according to Glenn Cody of Acton. I thought that we're supposed to take care of each other in the richest country on earth, and I can't even get a COVID booster to keep myself and my friends and family safe. The new shots by Pfizer and Moderna were approved just a week ago. They're supposed to target newer variants, and experts have recommended Americans get the new shot with their annual flu shot. But that has proven a taller task than expected. I have to cancel my COVID booster. Cody was 10 minutes from his scheduled appointment when he got a bill on his phone. Then it says, yeah, like that'll be $190.99. Almost $200 for a vaccine that signs outside CVS promise is free. I canceled it because like I didn't want to pay 190 bucks for a vaccine that should be free for everyone. Okay, <laughs> This guy is so clearly he is so clearly autistic. He got vaccine. He got vaccine injured as a fucking infant, and he's still fucking he going still back for more. It. He wants he more, but guess what? Guess what? He's not willing to pay for it. NPC. Go back. Isn't go that back funny? To the, go back to the sign. Look at the sign again. Yeah, go back yeah, to yeah. it. Didn't want to pay hundred and ninety bucks it? for a outside CVS. It Pause it right there. Do yep. you see the asterisk next to the free? Yes. Oh, look at the asterisk. That's, that's a little small print down there. Yeah, yeah. Can't read can't read the fine print down there, but I wonder what it says. <laughs> hey, that's what the drug dealers do. They always say first one's free. And yeah. they don't actually do that, by the way. <laughs> that's how they work though, isn't it? They always offer everything free. You get everyone in and then boom. And then by that time everyone's reliant on something. So it's the same way with, you know, games or apps or same stuff i just they knew they... that if they had done this in the beginning nobody would have taken it that's that's yeah. what i was wondering what yep. would the what would the vaccination rate be no if you one would have spent no one would have spent two hundred dollars for that damn shot <laughs> Not a chance. no one <laughs> and they okay. knew it i want to i want to watch the rest of it it's only a minute and a half or something more uh but <laughs> this fucking autist i mean they like it cracks me up this fucking local news station like Where'd they get this guy, dude? Where the fuck did they get this guy? It's so funny. Promise is free. I canceled it because, like, I didn't want to pay 190 bucks for a vaccine that should be free for everyone. Glenn has mass health for insurance, and we wanted to know why his shot wasn't covered. Turns out several people here at home and across the country have had similar issues, whether they have private or public insurance. And here's why. There's a new billing code for these new vaccines that many insurance companies haven't yet registered, leading to headaches for patients when they sign up to get that shot. Nothing in the 100-mile radius for a Pfizer or Moderna booster. Plus, a week in, many pharmacies still have proper stock. This sign hangs at a CVS in Cambridge. The company tells us vaccines should be fully stocked by early this week. 
on the billing front. They say some payers are still updating their systems and may not yet be set up to cover the updated COVID-19 vaccines. If this happens, pharmacy teams will help patients schedule an appointment later. While Glenn spends hours on the phone to get his free shot, he worries that the planning hurdles might deter people who need it most. This is like I'm some schmuck with like a college degree <laughs> and an Instagram account. And like uh-huh. there are people like imagine if I had two kids and like three oh, and like two part time jobs or like two full time jobs or something. Please don't have have kids. Christina Rex, WBZ News. Oh my god. Like you can't... he's a schmuck. Like <laughs> you... he's a schmuck. No, honey, let's just pretend (laughs) you are a schmuck. Yeah, you're an autistic fucking schmuck. There was a um, there was a sign up there. uh, Somebody had written. I think it was on the chemist. um, Vaccine not available at the moment. It looked like a three year old had written it. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. handwritten sign. Handwriting is atrocious these days. I'm telling you. I have noticed. Whoa. Hey, that's the public schools. I'm, I'm They're bad. still trying bad. to like lure people into paying for it. Be like, I'll pay extra if you have one left. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it said on that handwritten sign, like down at the bottom, it said, while the vaccines have been approved, quote unquote, um, they have not shipped or been delivered, which is interesting. It's like, is the whole scheme kind of falling apart here? Um, I don't know. I but is. like, yeah. Yeah. And it also said they hadn't been um, authorized for administer to uh, administer them as well. So that's two parts hadn't been delivered and they hadn't been authorized. Mm, so there's two things. Right. That is interesting. Right. It is. So well, this whole time, I, I never ended up shipping any of that shit to anywhere. And, I, you know, I'm glad because I that would weigh heavily on my soul. But, mm. you know, like the stuff has to get shipped, right? I, I don't know any drivers that have shipped it. You would think that nearly every driver would have at least shipped one uh, um, one trailer full of that crap. Mm. Unless they hired their own people to do it. I would say so. They would have to make sure that it was shipped in the appropriate manner because, as we have discussed before, the handling of these vaccines was very, very specific as far as temperature goes, and they were all different as well. They so scrapped Johnson & Johnson was different on. too. They, they scrapped the whole temperature thing real early on. They were just delivering them warm. Oh, I know. Can you imagine? I mean, that possibly is some of the adverse effects, unless it yeah. just renders them ineffective. But it could could actually create problems, you know. So who knows? And uh, yeah, you know, there were so many so many people that were sort of trained last minute to administer shots um, that don't do it, you know, all the time or all their life, even the military. Um, so you can guarantee there weren't shots administered properly all the time. I mean, people were not meant to shake the vials; they shook them. <laughs> Stuff like that. Uh, You know, just because it was so good, I'm just going to play that last bit one more time where he called himself a (laughs) schmuck. Here we go. (laughs) Oh, it's muted. He worried that the planning hurdles might deter people who need it most. This is like I'm some schmuck with like a college degree. (laughs) There people like imagine if I had two kids. And like, <laughs> I can't imagine. Jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Inactive. Uh, I literally uh, can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a goddamn miracle this guy hasn't procreated. <laughs> uh, well, now we, we can't. He's too yeah, full of yeah. vaccines. So True. It's like, yeah, got to boost need, again. If we need licensing <laughs> for anything, now this will sound a little bit eugenicist of me to say, but if there's a license <laughs> we need for anything, it's to have fucking kids. 
<laughs> I kid, but not really. In know? principle, I get you what you're saying. I have had that thought many times because there is seriously yeah. some people on this planet who should not have children. It's just yeah. as simple as that. And I'm, I mean, even beyond, you know, the comedy. Right, <laughs> the, open, right. the opening scene of Idiocracy. Oh my bingo. Goodness. Fucking bingo. Oh, man, I've got to watch that movie. You really, you really have to, do. Bella. You really need to watch it. I'm, I'm not even joking. I watched it for the first time a couple about a year or so ago, and I was like, I get it. I get yeah. it. I completely get. This was supposed to be a parody of what's happening, and it was not meant to be an instruction manual. And that is apparently what has happened. <laughs> One of my when favorite movie movies, made? if not my favorite all-time movie. It's so good. I think it was made in like the mid '90s. No, oh, really? Like, okay. I think it was, it was like late 90s. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mid 2000s. It was, it was early thousands. Early, like yeah, I was going to say early thousands. Yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so tired, guys. Yeah. Mike's <laughs> getting tired. Time for Betty Bus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have a rough day tomorrow. Hey, you and me both, but we're doing the fucking Lord's work, man. We're doing the Lord's work. What, what can you say? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But yeah, let's go around the circle and uh, give our plugs as we do. Um, I guess before I go, I will shout out to Keel Thor and to Rob Brisky, who said he was going to be gone for 20 minutes. He's like our he's like <laughs> our father who went out for a pack of smokes and never came back. <laughs> <laughs> but check check out Keel at Union of the Unknowns and check out Rob at Black Labs. Um, yeah, good people. This was a this was a fun one, guys. Uh even though it was pretty heady and uh, you know, dense, right? But as usual, Mike the Polymath, Easy Peasy Podcast. You can find all my links at easypeasy.ittybitty.tips. And I will send it to Stella. Yes, thank you. Um, thanks, Kiel, for for joining and shout out to Ashley. She'll be back next time. Uh Stella Q, Union of the Unknowns. Um of course, Easy Peasy Podcast, and occasionally on the Propaganda Report with Brad Binkley. Over to you, Photo. We'll do the circular thing again. All right. <clears throat> I'm Phytophiliac. I have uh, music on Bandcamp. You can check it out at phytophiliac.bandcamp.com. And you can check me out on major streaming platforms, including SoundCloud. Take it away, Ando. I'm Ando, Burn Babylon Burn, and the Doom Kitchen and other projects in the works and uh, other things not actually happening. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of kind of taking it easy these days. But anyway, you can find me at uh, libertylinks.io slash the doom kitchen and email me at the doom kitchen at protonmail.com and bear snare what about my friends hate freedom <laughs> yeah my friends hate freedom podcast and the bearsnare.com um and if you're into value for value music check it out on lnbeats.com i'm heading there right now Wait, uh, is that that new thing where you they put it with boostograms and stuff? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's okay. Fun, yeah, it's a fun thing that That's I got that involved new thing. in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's that new thing. Hey, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you all. Hell yeah, man. And I want to shout out to our two viewers still hanging with us after four hours and oh, 16 wow. minutes. We had oh, so a couple comments. more. Sorry. We, we had we had comments, we had engagement. I love it. This is what we're doing and we're not Ooh. stopping anytime soon. So, thanks for coming y'all and we will talk to you next time. Love you guts. Here you guts. Good night.
And stream. <laughs> <laughs>